Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Hi, I'm Justin, a.k.a. Uncle New Year. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, guys. It happened. We did it. 2020 ended, and the whole world didn't just turn into a sparkling unicorn forest like everyone thought. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone attached all these problems to the year 2020, like, can't wait for this year to be over, but no. Yeah, right? Yeah, I've been miserable for a long time. It has nothing to do with time. Check it out. It's life. uh, It's No Fun 21. Yeah, No Fun 21. Here we go. Here we're doing it. We're doing it. (laughs) Great. Write yeah, it out. Yeah, it's amazing um, that that we're able to quantify like that. Life yeah. is not the graph. No, the, it's different. The, the black cloud of depression does <clears throat> not quantify like that. Listen, <laughs> well, hey, yeah, but it's a brand new year, brand doing? new cheer. Um, even though benevolence has gone extinct, everyone's pissed off, everyone's tearful, wah wah. Everyone's got the blues. Uh, but we're, we're going to ring in the new year right uh, with underground death metal, man. We love you guys. We appreciate everyone supporting us throughout 2020. Um, we tried to keep, uh, if, if anything, it kept me sane doing uh, the, the podcasts and trying to keep up with the Heavy Hole podcast. Yeah, uh, this has been, I mean, we, what was it, like three months where we did it remotely? And it was yeah. good, but yeah. it wasn't as fun. Now yeah. we're back in the studio, and the, and the podcast is really uh, it doesn't matter what it's like outside. Rain, snow, virus, yeah, no virus. We're the goddamn post office. Free anyway. Viagra. I don't know. We're, we're here. Yeah. Well, free Viagra. We spent a few months, uh, yeah, like doing it via Skype with little recorders, and Tom would mix the files together to make mm-hmm. it sound like we were together, but yeah. we weren't. It was like espionage. It's crazy. Sometimes yeah. I forget to record, and it's just that's just a vocoder. Yeah, yeah some, sometimes he you would remember to record and we would edit you out. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, insane. we didn't that do Google that to speech. old Justin. Oh, it's, it's, it's great. I have so many not the best things to say. There was like a month where you weren't there. You were you were like uh, off-road biking or something. Yeah, I was, driving. Breaking, I was breaking down. Yeah, yeah breaking was, it down. I was out there not catching fish. You know yeah. I love breakdowns too, right? Like if Aniston's talked about. Yeah, Bingo. I'm breaking <laughs> so, down. I said, so, well, like... Yeah. How was your last week of 2020? Um, well, I uh, my my last weekend of 2020 was actually pretty real. I Justin, I feel like you're going to be able to relate. I got new tires. Wow. For the Jeep. Amazing. Nice. How big did you go? Uh, did you lift up? Are you on blocks right now? Just uh, because I'm a big fan of the hip hop culture, I'm gonna not even say the appropriate number. I'm just gonna say I'm riding on twenty twos. Hell yeah, dude! Riding That's on fantastic. 22s. That's what's they're, they're, That's what's no, there. I got those General Air Maxes. I'm ready for the snow, sleet, rain, whatever Long Island throws at me this winter. Come on. Uh, I'm ready to ride that dirt fishing trail so I can tell you about how many fish I didn't catch, uh, you know, all next year on the Heavy Hole podcast. Uh, But I did something else that you guys aren't even prepared for. I didn't even warn you about this before we started uh, recording. Um, uh, Hold on. I'm going to save this. Tom? Yes. All this talk about New Year, I didn't even ask you how your weekend was. What did you do, Tom? Um, Well... If you can piece it together, we're doing this right after Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Memento. Remember that? Did you get yes. everything you wanted and w- then some? Yeah. I got Bitcoin. That's just tight. But in all seriousness, I had this thought. Uh, Christmas at my household. My mom is of English-Irish descent. Okay. She's yeah. very into her Irish. So I grew up with the album Bells of Dublin, Pale. which is the Chieftains album, their Christmas album. Okay. Yeah. Riffs. 
flavor. Now, Ooh. Irish flavor. Ooh. Irish riffs. Now, this album, yes, you might laugh. There is, there. you know, you might go, Tom, what is that? It's not heavy. It's fucking heavy, okay? The Wren, the Wren, he's the king of all birds. Listen to this fucking shit. There are riffs for miles. Precise picking. Yes. Wow. So, fifes and lutes and all these uh, uh -huh. folk instruments that are just fantastic and I think very inspirational for the riff playing person or the riff appreciating person. Oh. Um, so though I wasn't listening to as much death metal as I wanted to this week, yeah. um, I did get uh, interuterine cannibalism from Haunted Hotel Records. He uh, Ralph shot oh. me that. I needed that in my collection. Um, Ralph. So I got that. That was on, on rotation pretty heavily. But when I'm okay. upstairs with the family, I got these riffs. Bells in Dublin. So if, if you're a guitar player and you want to hear something interesting, just listen to those riffs. And uh, yes, there's some corny stuff, but it's fun as all right. fuck. You need to chill out. I love you're it. excited about these Irish riffs, man. Oh my Calm God. down. Triplets. You're, you're, you're scaring the listeners. You're Sorry. scaring your, everybody. Your everybody. heart grew 10 sizes this day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. Jesus Christ. Somebody <laughs> just broke a pint glass over my face over a fucking soccer game. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel right now. I it's taste guy, four clovers. guy blindsided me. Uh, Justin, was your weekend? Could your uh, could your weekend possibly have been as Irish? Definitely not. It totally wasn't because I'm not of Irish descent. I'm okay. of '90s soft rock descent. Okay. And uh, mm. while I'm still waiting for my Sadist Vision of Misery record to come in, still from yeah from Germany, yeah, Ooh. still in I'm in the mail, waiting in the mail. All respect to all the postal workers out there. If anybody listens to this podcast, <laughs> thank you, like thank you so much. My copy came from Seasons of Mist very quickly. You make all the better decisions. I, I think that's pretty pre uh, prominent on this podcast. We talked about this on a previous I'm podcast. Just, yeah. I'm just I'm flexing, sure. flexing in a very arrogant way. But, but what I did, uh, what I did on Christmas Eve when I cooked uh, some some seasoned burgers and mac and cheese for my father. Traditional was I was I was asking him why, do, why when I listen to Melissa Etheridge does it sound like home to me. And he told me, oh. well, that was from all of the parties I had when you were a child, when I was doing all these drugs and drinking. Uh. And I put you to bed, but at the same time, I was blasting uh, Come to My Window and the like um, uh, with things falling off the shelves into the house. So he apologized to me. Oh. Uh, and it was a very heartfelt apology. And okay. I, you know, I didn't have to say this album to put on. Uh, well, but, but I did ironically, have, a heartfelt apology from your father sounds like a Melissa Etheridge soundtrack it moment. It does, and yes. a Christmas moment. Yes, and a Christmas moment, and it was it was almost better than the all weather Milwaukee gloves that he gifted me for Christmas as well. So, right, um, shout out to Home Depot. Uh, shouts out to Melissa, and shouts out to my father. And shout out to all weather tires. Very That's good. That's a segue trick Nick, right there. Back at you, Will. Don't try it at home. <laughs> Shout out to All Weather Tires up in Huntington Station. Uh, they get you in and out uh, for a fair price for goods and services there. If you ever need tires, you got a flat or something like that. Uh, All Weather Tires, beautiful people. New Another local business that I uh, adore. Um, you guys can all go back, listeners, if you're new to the game. Check out our interview with Timmy from Record Reserve, our local record restore, uh, record store in Northport, New York. Uh, relocated. He's a little bit further on down the way on 25A there in Northport, but he's still there. Yes, sir. You can always check out Record Reserve on Instagram and uh, the, the appropriate social medias. I stopped in there today. It wasn't even the weekend. It was on a Monday. But oh, it's wow. my, like My schedule from work is weird. It's my weekend. Of course. Um, 
Uh, I bought a few records from Timmy. He bought he 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 bought a few of my used joints. Uh, I turned it around. I got some things. I'm gonna spring it on you guys. Yeah, what'd you quick. get? Um, I got sick. I I did it. I got this is an interesting one. Uh, Necromancy from Greece, Ancient Wrath. It's like a Ooh. elusive three song, primitive death black metal recording from '92 that was shelved for like 20 years and nuclear war now finally released it it's crazy interesting oh. i gotta hear that it's scary yeah i like scary though it's it's very um uh well for, we should say rest in peace to the guy named living dead um i guess ironically who passed away uh shortly after recording this he was uh mm. serving in the greek army oh, uh, oh passed, wow passed away uh, and this was kind of shelved by the band members, uh, the living band members after that. But this three song was it was actually reissued a few years ago, and I found it uh, at record reserve. So it, it's a cool, cool release. Um, I broke down. I treated myself for the holiday season. I have. It's just I did it. Let's hear it. I bought uh, Iron. Woe to you, Iron Maiden, the number of the beast. It's definitely not new. It's a reissue, but I don't care because I'm not. One of these obsessed collectors I just wanted to listen to. It's the 2014 Parlophone Records edition, um, and I love it. Uh, I, I love Iron Maiden. I, I am going to enjoy listening to this in the privacy of my I've home. I've got to imagine that most of our listeners are in the same boat as you when it comes to that album, yeah. Number of the Beast. I mean, this is tic-tac-toe. It just you know? felt right. You know what? Yep. It felt like when I bought um, my copy of like the, the iconic, like the first Ramones album, Mm-hmm. Uh, it just felt like something I needed in my collection yes, that, sir, that yeah. sounds good on vinyl. It was meant for vinyl. Uh, it's like owning uh, or like owning like a, a Rush record, like my copy of Rush 2012. It's just a classic yeah. album. It's like having a, yeah. a goddamn pocket knife. Yeah, this yeah, is a need right. that, you, like you need that record. Like Fair I'm a metalhead, I collect a lot of metal, but this is a metal album that would be like it, it could be in a museum of music of the 20th century. Absolutely, like it's yeah. that it, it stands alone as a piece of music that like even people outside of metal have to kind of respect. Right, you know? remove the genre. This is a masterpiece. Um, it kind of it kind of sparked a lot of things. So to that, I say nice buy. Thank you. Now. Something that is a little bit more questionable, unless you're a diehard collector metalhead with some uh, 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 questionable niche tastes, is my copy of Dawkins' second full-length album. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Tooth and nail. Yeah. George Lynch in the house, riffing it up. Now... Is Dream Warriors on that record? Is it? Let me check. I just I just listened to it today. No, we do not have a Dream Warrior. That's on That's okay. Record. That's all right. Yeah, dude. You're just but these guys around. look like around. still a good record. <laughs> these guys look like Dream Warriors. No, this is actually a great album. You know, I remarked uh, to a friend today. I, t- I told Rick Habib today that I bought this. Rick from Gray Skies and Buckshot and all that. And he was like, you know, I'm not really too much of a docking guy. I was like, I know. They they did they went a little hairy, a little hair metal, a little poppy for yeah. the 80s. It was like new wave of British heavy metal meets. We all get hair when we grow but, up. But when you listen to the guitars on this, the first three docking albums, I believe, is what George Lynch contributed Fuck to. Fuck yeah, dude. George Lynch, I, I, my only regret about knowing about George Lynch is I wish that he was in, like, a progressive thrash band. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is, like, he is he, so... Good. He, he should have been in like an extreme metal band, yep. and then it would have been perfect. But yeah, George Lynch, the leads on this, this is a great album. Um, so I went in. I bought two albums from the early 80s and one album from the early 90s. Uh, shout out to Timmy at Record Reserve in Northport. Great record store. But listen, guys, it's a new year. 
new me, new. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. I'm I I'm got a beard. I'm fat. It's probably gonna stay that way. Same sweatpants. But another local Long Islander who uh, is a local businessman. Mm-hmm. Grew up uh, adjacent to the Huntington area and set out in the old school metal scene and is still a lifelong follower of metal. Uh, you can catch him and his group, DarkForcesLive.com, tomorrow, January 2nd, 5 p.m. Get I'm it. talking about Long Island's own internal bleeding. Legend. Yeah, Chris Pervelis. Uh, One more clap. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, uh, better late than never. We tried to get him on uh, once before. The schedules didn't work out. We're going to talk about why. He's got a sixth story. He's got a couple of stories. We're going to talk to Long Island OG metal, uh, death metal guitarist Chris Pervelis tonight. Does he have a phone? Let's find out. Heavy Hole Podcast. This is Big Will. I'm joined, uh, as always, by Tom and Justin, my co-hosts. And tonight our guest is Chris Pervelis, founding member, OG member, and to this day member of Internal Bleeding, Long Island's original slam death metal band. How you doing, Chris? Good, man. How are you? How are you guys? Great. Fantastic. Great. Yeah, man. Complain. Glad to be here uh, and glad to have you aboard yep. tonight, man. It's It's been, it's Thanks, been uh, some, some people have been asking you along the way uh, for the podcast. It's been a while. Um, and our schedules didn't link up back in the day once or twice. I'm glad we finally got you on here, man. Thanks. It's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. I look forward to chatting and uh, having a good time for a little while. Yeah, yeah, man. We, uh, we, go, we, we go back with this stuff, too, man. We, um, uh, we've had a lot of content over the last year or two of our podcast about New York death metal and the scene. And we had your old singer Frank on in one of our earlier episodes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I listened to that episode. Okay, man. You Frank told me. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good guy, Frank, man. And shout out to him, obviously. Uh, and we're glad we finally got you on. So to start off, like I told you, we start off at right at the beginning. Are you from a musical family? Are there musicians in your family? And is there anyone who was into heavy metal or hard rock that was older than you in your family and got you into it? All right. So um, I have no musicians in my in my direct family. My wife plays keyboards and sings. But obviously, she was no influence on me in heavy metal. But, you know, um, my mother, my father, my sister, none of them were musicians. However, my sister was a child of the 70s. And I was a little child of the 70s. And one day in 1974, when I was four years old, I remember this like it was yesterday. What is 1974? God almighty. I remember it was like yesterday. I was in my bedroom playing, doing whatever, and all of a sudden, I heard the opening of Iron Man. And I was like, what the hell was... I didn't say hell. I probably said, golly, gee, what was that? You know? What the H? I went, run, I went running into my sister's room at 100 miles an hour and asked my sister what that was. I didn't even know what it was. You know? And she's like, oh, it's a band called Black Sabbath. And I was like... I was I was floored. I, like I can't. I tried to describe it to somebody. Like I like. At that age, I felt like I listened to something that gave my whole life meaning. That's the only thing I can. The only way I can describe it. Wow. And it's still to that day 
when I listen to Black Sabbath, um, I never feel so more alive and I don't know, like I can't, I can't describe it. And so that, that at, at, at the age of four, I got into, to, I didn't know it was heavy metal, you know, at the age of four, I got into Black Sabbath and, you know, I can remember when I first got my, saved up my allowance, I can remember going to, um, a store called TSS and buying Sabotage, the, the album, when it came out, you know, and my father thought I was nuts because I spent all my money on this black set, you know, and he just yeah. looked at it and just shook his head, you know, but, and that started, that started, that started my, my, my journey in metal, you know, and, um, and then I got into, you know, then I got into a lot of the other, you know, as I grew, grew older, I got a lot of, into the 70s hard rock, of course, you know, Deep Purple and Rainbow and, you know, all that stuff. And then, you know, Slayer and Metallica came along. You know, I guess the natural progression of things. I did check out of heavy metal for a, a good stretch in the 80s. I checked out of heavy metal because it became too... I don't know if commercial's the word, too happy and not aggressive enough and not heavy enough and i turned to hardcore punk you know and i started listening to you know black flag the circle jerks and stuff like that because i thought it was it was more aggressive and had that grit that that black sabbath had that that these metal bands of the 80s didn't really have until like until like metallica and slayer came along you know mm -hmm. so there was that period in the 80s where i just i completely washed my hands of metal you know all right. So what? Well, be, before we get into into that, what age do you get a guitar in your hand for the first time? Okay, seriously or not seriously? <laughs> let's let's go both. Let's go both in, in chronological order. All right, not seriously. Probably sixth grade. I found a guitar in um, in a drainage ditch. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I plugged it into it, and, and it worked. And I didn't know anything about tuning or whatever, but I plugged it into my reel-to-reel -reel recorder so I can get sound out of it. Huh. All um, right. Okay, so that's where I started. But I didn't take it seriously until probably senior year of high school, 1986. That's probably when I started. Like, I bought my first proper guitar and started taking lessons and things like that. And then, you know, all through college I played... You know, when I got out, you know, and by the time I got out of college, I was a pretty decent player. So that's okay. kind of, I dropped it, always, always knew I was going to do it. But, you know, most of high school was spent drag racing and, and you know, I didn't want to dedicate time to guitar. I wanted to dedicate time to building engines and going fast. You know, yeah. that's what, that's where my thing was. Can we uh, get into that for a little bit? Drag racing. I don't, we've never really yeah. covered that yeah. on the show at all. Could you... Uh, take us through that a little bit like your experience in drag racing well it was mostly street racing um i got into muscle cars and and stuff in early high school um the first time i saw i used to like ferraris and things like that i thought they were cool until my friend glenn said ah those cars suck shit they're the worst you gotta get them you gotta get a muscle car and i was like i don't know what a muscle car is and one day we're, we're, we're cutting out of lunch and we're going to McDonald's, and it's like perfect timing. It's 1970 Plymouth GTX, pulls up to the drive-thru, got his hamburgers or whatever, 
pulled out into the middle middle of a busy road, stopped still. Okay, and it, and uh, the GTX has what's called an air grammar hood, which is when you push a button, a little hatch opens up on the hood, mm-hmm. and it's got shark teeth on it. Looks really cool. So anyway, he opened up the, the, the air grabber hood and hit the gas. The car just took off in a cloud of smoke. I said, I got to get one of those, you know. And then uh, literally like two weeks later, I, I bought a uh, I found the Plymouth Barracuda and I bought that. And um, I worked on the engine. I did a lot of work on the engine and, and, and the suspension and everything. And me and my friends would go out and uh, drag race every freaking night on uh, Deer Park Avenue, Hempstead Turnpike. Um you know, down in Oceanside, down by Nathan's, we'd go drag racing, drag or drag racing on the Southern State Parkway, <laughs> and anywhere we can drag race. Yeah. That's what every every freaking night, um, especially weekends. You know, we'd meet up at like eight o'clock at night. We'd drive out to Hempstead Turnpike and just sit in the Pergament parking lot and cruise back and forth, pick up races between lights, and that's you know that's what we did, and then. You know, finally, as I got older, you know, I stopped racing on the street because I realized it was dangerous. And as I got older and I started making money, you know, I, and I own my own business and I'm fortunate enough to make enough money. I built I built a, a restored a, a Barracuda. I take it to the track, you know, once in a while and race it at the track where it's supposed to be raced. You know, so, uh, is that in Riverhead? No, no, no. Atco, New Jersey now okay. used to be Raceway, Raceway Park, Park in New yeah. Jersey. That, yeah. that last closed- the commercial. <laughs> Raceway Park. Yeah, they closed, they closed Raceway Park now. Now you can go to Atco, New Jersey. But okay, so yeah. I'm a bit younger yeah, than you. But, but I'm a bit younger than you. But my uh, my dad and my fiance's family, uh, all the all the guys in her family, her uncle and her dad, they they were all out there like racing down Deer Park Avenue. Uh, probably around yeah, the same I time, probably, man. I'm sure. I probably raced one of them. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, man. I, it's all I did. Oh my god. All me and my friends did, it's all we did was race and spend all our money on, you know, new carburetor, cam, headers, exhaust, this, that, the other thing, you know. Wow. All the Yahoo shit. <laughs> yeah, all the Yahoo shit. More horsepower. Yeah, you, you mentioned Deer Park Avenue. I've definitely seen, allegedly seen that over the years. Um, you're, well, you're actually, are, you're from the Huntington area, if I got that right, right? Yeah, I grew up, I grew up in Huntington, um... You know where, well, I call it Holy Family is, but St. Anthony's High School? Yeah. You know where that is? More towards Dix Hills there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so right around there. Okay, yeah, it, yeah. I, I grew up in Huntington Station not too far. We're, we're all, right now we're more towards Huntington Bay uh, at the studio where we do the podcast, but um, we're all Huntington okay. guys. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, is Now, with internal bleeding, uh, c- can you say the band starts in Huntington? Or, t- like, take us take us through that. The band starts in Huntington. Okay, all right. Uh, the band name starts in Huntington in my father's dark room. <laughs> yeah, he was a he was a he was a hobby photographer. Okay, and that's where I came up with the name for the band. Um, and I uh, didn't think I didn't think about it being an obituary song until later, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started there with me and one guy, and I don't remember his name. And that's where the first <laughs> riffs. That's where the first riffs were written. Um, and then I got I got rid of that guy. I can't remember his name. Sorry. Then I got a guy named Tom, and uh, Tom played bass, and Rob was a singer, and then we got a drummer, and I don't know his name. And so that lineup 
went on for a little while. And then finally, I got rid of Tom. Brian was the vocalist. This guy named Brian. I finally got rid of Brian, and I got rid of Tom, and I got rid of the drummer because I wasn't happy. And I found Billy. Yes. And Anthony Maiola okay. through um, through ads that I put out in Good Times Magazine. Remember that? Yeah, the, it would, and just for the listeners, that was like a free music magazine. You could compare right. maybe to like the Village Voice that they had in New York City. It was like Long Island's version of a live entertainment free magazine. Right. I think I think Billy saw my ad in 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 Good Times Magazine, and I think Anthony Maiola saw an ad I put in, in um, Sam, Sam Sam Ash, you know, yeah. the music store. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when me, Anthony, Bill got together, things started to click finally because um anthony had had his anthony and bill were kind of like on the on the same page and i was more wanting to do a little more sabbathy kind of stuff and it blended with what they wanted to do and we kind of fused it together and started playing you know and and then it grew from there and then anthony got um then i got john caluco to play bass um, well, first I got Eric Wigger to sing. Eric Wigger had sang in a band with me called Autumn Rain ages ago. And I asked him, you know, if he was into death metal and wanted to sing death metal. And he said, yes. So I got him in and then he got John Caluco in. And then we recorded our first, uh, rehearsal tape called the $1 demo. And then after that, Eric quit to become a tattoo artist, a very, He's a very, very successful tattoo artist, by the way. John Caluco moved out to um, Colorado. And then I got... Oh, God, this history is so long and convoluted. I'm sorry. No, it's um, okay, man. I, you know, because we're, we're we're, we want to get into the beginning of the band. And, you, you know, you mentioned Anthony uh, Maiola and Bill Tolley. Rest in peace to Bill Tolley. By now, anybody listening yep. to this in the underground death metal community realizes... Uh, Bill passed away in 2017. Um, uh, you know, respect to him, obviously. Uh, and yeah. and those two guys are guys that will go on to be, um, I guess you could say, foundational members for that era. They would go on to be on several recordings. I, you know what? I, you know what? I, okay, so I look, I look at at Bill and Anthony as founding members of the band, even though technically they're not. I look at those two as founding members of the band because the band really became a band when those two joined with yeah. me. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because nothing was gelling. We, I had a name. Nothing was gelling. I wasn't doing anything. We were nothing was. You know, the stuff I had written, they couldn't play play to, or they didn't play what I heard in my head. You know, so none of that worked. So when Anthony and me. Anthony and Bill got together and started clicking, so that's why I consider them founding members of the band. Yeah, yeah. And, and now, you know, we always, um, uh, especially us from Long Island who grew up with uh, um, uh, the, the Long Island death metal scene and all that, but uh, we know that on Long Island and New York there's a big culture of um, the firefighters, uh, volunteer firefighters, professional uh, yep. New York City firefighters, EMTs. It's a big deal out here, as it is, I'm sure, in a lot of places. Yep. Uh, and what I'm getting at is how, because uh, people also might not realize, Bill Tolley passed away performing his duties as a New York City firefighter. 
Um, it's been yes. it's been written about and covered uh, on various platforms. Um, uh, but what at that point in time, he's very young. Did he always aspire to to do that as a career? A hundred percent. Okay, because there's a if lot of people ask, who who decide to do that at a young age out here. He he decided to do that when he was four four or five years old. Okay. Um, if you if you look if you have the if anybody has the Driven to Conquer CD, if you open up the gatefold and look at all the pictures, there's a picture of Bill in there at like four years old with a, wearing a firefighter's uniform. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be a he wanted to be a firefighter since the day he was born, and um, even when he was young, when he was I think he was I think when uh, when he started in IB, he was maybe sixteen or seventeen. I know that um, as soon as he turned eighteen, he 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 joined the Hicksville Fire Department. Yeah, like immediately. You know that was his first step, and then he's like, "I want to be a New York City firefighter." That's all he wants to do, and he just took various jobs. You know, uh, he worked at a coffee place, he worked at a deli, he did everything just waiting until he could be a NYFD. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all he wanted to do. And. Yeah, because I mean, we all, um, you know, I think growing up out here, you know, we all, everybody knows somebody who went on to do something uh, along those lines or similar. Oh yeah, um, definitely. You, you know what I mean? It's kind of it's, it's sometimes mm -hmm. it's it's in somebody from a young age. So I was just curious about that because you talk about meeting those guys when you were all younger, um, and also you know people who get into the band and um, or people who have been into the band for a long time who who look back at those older albums and the older material. Uh, let's talk about Anthony uh, Maiola. I don't know. I know he hasn't been involved in the band for a very long time. Are you in touch with him? Is there anything you can say about his contributions to the band um, or anything of that nature? Oh, my God. His contributions to the band are huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, he, was a he, was a, he, was, he was my first ever writing partner. Um. And I never, never, you know, that was the first time I ever experienced having a writing partner. Um, and it was, um, it was really cool. I mean, him and I, we got along really well and we wrote a lot of great music together and he wrote a lot of great riffs and had a lot of great ideas. Um, him and I really loved hip hop. So we threw a lot, made a lot of our riffs really hip hoppy. You know, and we shared that kind of love of hip hop and stuff. So, um, yeah, man, he's a big, 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 big part of this band, a big part of the history of the band. Um, unfortunately, I had to get, let him go um, due to drugs. Unfortunately, um, he really degraded over time, unfortunately. Um, and I've been trying to repair my bridges with him over the past year or so. I speak to him every once in a while and say hi and uh, how you doing. You know, we talk through Facebook. So, you know, um, even he was even after I had removed him from the band, I think a year later or so, he came to a couple of shows and we hung out and it was nice and uh, all that. But, um, you know, I guess it's a little uncomfortable still, you know, yeah. our relationship. You know, and I can understand that. So I reach out to him on his birthday. I reach out to him whenever I, whenever I, you know, I have the notification on Facebook that when he's online, you can see when he's online. And then anytime I see him online, I pop in, I say hello. And usually we have a, you know, a short conversation. So I do, sp I do still speak to him. It's not like it used to be, but his, his contributions can't be uh, denied. 
I mean, he wrote a lot of great stuff and a lot of incredible ideas. All right, well, shout to him, and, uh, you know, all due respect to his contributions. Absolutely. And you mentioned hip-hop. That's interesting that that comes up. You also said before that there was a period of time where you kind of rejected metal because it was so commercialized, maybe we could say, uh, and you got more into punk and hardcore. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the influence of punk and hardcore and hip-hop and maybe being so close to that geographically, being on Long Island so close to New York City? Does that play a factor into internal bleeding in the early days? A hundred percent. I mean, if you listen to our first album, I always call it a death metal hip hop album. <laughs> I mean, the beats on the beat, yeah. the beats on that album are the beats on that album that Bill has, and the, the riffing patterns are all very percussive and very hip hoppy. You know, I mean, and and that's that's from listening to. EPMD and 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 Eric B and Rakim and and all and you know all that stuff. That's where and 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 some of it comes from listening to Agnostic Front, you know, as well as your usual death metal influences, you know. But I think you can really hear on Voracious, you can hear like massive amounts of of hip hop and hardcore, like was never heard before on a death metal album. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it was just it was over the top. You yeah. know, and some some people didn't some people didn't like it, and that's fine. Um, I think most a lot. Um, I think a lot of fans got it. The 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 so called press didn't get it. Yeah, I mean, um, people are conditioned, especially. I mean, that's pretty pretty uh, young in terms of death metal. So getting into fusion in general and bringing in new elements has got to be. Uh, strange in context. In context, it's, it's strange, I guess. To me, it's not. To somebody who's listening to Morbid Angel and never heard, like, and then all of a sudden listens to Voracious Contempt, they go, <laughs> What the hell is this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know? Where's all the noodly guitars and everything? Everything is all beats and percussion and, 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 and um, hip hop lyrical patterns and things like that. What the hell is this? Right. You know, so I, I can see it, but but uh, you know, Will, you allude this to this all the time. This is what we grew up with on yeah. Long Island. Yeah, you know, it, Long Island isn't 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 um, isn't segmented. Uh, a lot of music listeners, at least when I grew up, and I'm sure it's the same. Uh, I listen to metal, hip hop, hardcore, jazz. You know, I listen. To, I think Long Islanders uh, get infused with everything that leaks out of New York. New York City, you know, and, and Long Island just has a rich history of music. If anybody would look, yeah. you know, it's yeah. amazing. And I think that all, I think, I think, every, every, sorry for the dog. I think every band on Long Island sucks up some of Long Island's music, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, it's, you know? it's definitely, I mean, because it's funny when you, when you look now, like I remember back in the day, in the 90s, being from Long Island, like the first death metal show I ever went to was uh, actually, I've told you this, Ryan Scamenti was like singing. It was an in-between yeah, yeah. period for internal bleeding and uh, Disfigured and Reputilation were there and all that. So like the, the you know, it, it was nothing to me to see death metal like that. But I remember back when people didn't always understand New York death metal uh, and and would you know talk down about it if they were from other regions or something like that in the, in the late 90s but look at where we are now where the idea of slam has become its own i mean people ran with that worldwide now you know it's everywhere oh yeah, oh, yeah. totally 
and 90% of them get it wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> well, people listening to only slam now and not listening to hip hop, you know? So yeah. That's, you know what? That's you know funny. What think, you, know, you know what I think? I think, and this is my opinion, and, and I, I'm probably an outlier because um, I, I, I peek in and out of the slam. Uh, Facebook pages and all that stuff, and most 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 bands they talk about don't even consider us a slam band, which I think is ironic <laughs> as hell. Yeah. You know, well, it's it's like that you gotta have all slam riffs and nothing else going on but a slam riff to be but slam now but, or something. Right, but that's but you know what? That's boring. Where's the tension? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Where's the tension? Where's the musicality? Where's the build up? Where's the release? Uh, the 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 jun 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 slam riff is, it's played, you know everybody does it. Slam doesn't have to be that. Slam just has to be groove, you know. That's what people I don't think people understand. I mean, when we write, even when we write blast riffs, they have to be. Your head has to be able to go up and down to the blast beat, you know. That's that's what I consider slam. Everything's groovy. It's all hooks. Everything's hooky. Everything draws you in. Your body moves uh, involuntarily. It's not about a riff. It's about the feeling of the song. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, That's, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. Well, a, a lot of, I mean. And from, that comes from the hardcore and the punk side because, the, you know, hardcore never had slam riffs. You know, everybody just moved their body because the music was, maybe it was simple and it was easy to get into, whatever, but your body moved the whole time. And and that's what we want to do. You know, we want we want your body to move constantly, and and that's slow parts, that's fast parts. You know, um, and I don't think a lot of people get it, and I'm glad they don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it, you know, hearing you talk about that, it really brings to mind something I wanted to ask about. Um, you know, you talk about Bill Tolley being a teenager when he's when he joins the band. Uh, his style of drumming, even earlier on in some of the early recordings, and then he really comes into his own voracious and, and extinction, it's so different, especially at a time where death metal was still in its growing pains out of thrash metal, and it was still stuck right. on that skank beat, all the Florida bands, right. which I love a lot of that material, but you listen to Bill Tolley's drum style, and it was so much uh, more uh, like busy and groove oriented than a lot of what yeah. death metal was at the time. Can you speak a little bit to like, I guess how Bill came up playing drums? Uh, uh, was he, was he given lessons? What was he playing when he first okay, met yeah. you? That type of thing. Sure. Um, just, a, just a funny aside. Um, we had a rule back in the day and it, it holds pretty much true. I think it, it, the beat appears one or two songs in our whole repertoire. We used to have a have a rule that says no buta buta beat. Yeah, no buta, yeah, buta, buta, yeah. Buta, none ever allowed ever. Which you know, back then set you aside. Yeah, right. Hated hate that. I I still hate that beat. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it, it's it's happy sounding and it's just not heavy and it doesn't get any point across. Um, okay, so just an aside because it's just funny because. Every once in a while, Bill would fall into that beat, and me and Anthony would be like, "If you play that beat again, I'm going to shove a stick so far." <laughs> <up your ass." laughs> so, but Bill's influence is so. Bill has Bill is um. You got to remember, Bill. You got to go back. This is the early '90s, 
Bill grew up in the eight, you know, in the eighties and stuff like that. And his mother, who was very tuned into music, turned him on to a lot of classic rock. So you know, his primary, his primary base of drummers was seventies drummers, Bill Ward. Uh, you know, Carmine Mappesi or Apice, however you want to pronounce it, you know, uh, Cozy Powell. So those guys, those 70 guys, you know, they did a lot of cymbal work, you know, and, and they were all about the bass drum and the snare and how the bass drum and snare work with the rest of the band. Um, so he got a lot of bass from that. And then he got a lot of bass from hardcore, like, like, like Biohazard and stuff like that. You know, I, I mean, you can... You can hear a lot of Biohazard beats in IB songs or yeah. Biohazard inspired beats. And then, of course, you know, the, you got your usual, you got your Dave Lombardo's. Of course, uh, you know, Mike Smith was a, an influence, especially when it came to the blast beat. You know, uh, Billy always preferred the Mike Smith style blast beat over, over like, say, uh, you know, like a Morbid Angel blast beat yeah. or something like that. So, um, but Bill was mostly a 70s drummer. He was a Bill Ward, John Bonham, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of guy. And I think that's what made I think that made a huge difference, especially when you contrast it to today, where a lot of these hotshot young drummers, their frame of reference is seven years ago, where everybody yeah. was just playing blast beats and and yeah. this and that. And and they've become all more technically far superior to bill would ever be technically um and bill would be the first to admit it because bill said bill would say i don't want to play that shit um you know but all these guys today who are great are influenced got from guys from like death and stuff like that who were technically amazing you know and they built upon that whereas bill built upon stuff from the 70s and early 80s so it's a totally different time frame yeah, you know, and thank yeah. God, thank God, Kyle, Kyle is Bill's age, our, our Bill's replacement. Mm -hmm. Kyle is, is pretty much Bill's age, a little younger, but cut his teeth on the same music. Yeah, uh, and you're talking about so, Kyle Eddy, uh, your, your right. current drummer who played on Corrupting Influence. Um, yeah, yeah, he, he definitely, uh, well, he, he, if I'm not mistaken, he filled in for the band um, at one point when Bill was still with us, right? Yes, yeah, he filled in for the band on the Onward to Mecca tour in two thousand four, I think. I yeah. think I think Kyle, I think Kyle was fifteen. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and Jerry, you know, um, when Bill died, we were looking for a drummer, and Jerry was the first person, you know, Jerry who sang on Onward to Mecca yeah. was the first one to suggest. He's like, call call Kyle. He probably remembers half the songs. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Kyle stepped up. Uh, Bill, you, Billy died. And we had about a month. Billy died a month before we went on our tour with Vader. And so Kyle had a month to get everything tight. And he did it. Wow. Unbelievable. How, now, I, I re-listened to Corrupting Influence today in preparation for the interview. What amount of that material was written on drums by Bill prior to his passing? And what amount did okay. Kyle write the drums for? Okay, so so I could tell you. Bill wrote Bill was on Fatal Dependency. He wrote he wrote that with us. He wrote Corrupting Influence with us and he wrote Surrounded from the Inside with us. So there's okay. three songs that are Bill pretty much wrote all the beats for. 
and Bill came up with some. Bill came up with a uh, a couple of a uh, couple of riffs on those songs too. Okay. So all right. all right. Yeah. Well, I just asked because listening to what struck me, and you know, obviously, I've seen Kyle uh, play with the band many times. Um, of course. Play, play the older material, the new material, all that. And all I'm getting at is that he really came into it embracing Bill's style. Uh, and was able right. to maintain that percussive element to um, to internal bleeding. It's it, you know it was really great to see that that's that kind of re- remain there. Um, and it had to. If it didn't, if it didn't, yeah. if it didn't, it wouldn't. We wouldn't have that recognizable sound anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was critical that Kyle was able to. You know that's one of the things we were scared about because we're like, oh my god, we're gonna get a drummer in who's gonna do a thousand fills and. 70,000 blast beats and and we need somebody who's going to be able to get in the pocket and and make the pocket tight you know and groove in the pocket and that's hard man yeah well yeah oh yes and especially like you talk nowadays you could find a lot of drummers who could play some hyper technical uh you know modern tech death stuff Mm -hmm. but to find somebody like you said who was kind of raised on the in the pocket more rudimentary stuff you know it's not necessarily easy task to find someone who could translate that to death metal, and that's the thing. You've uh, you know you're you're known for uh, talking up Black Sabbath, um, right. and and you kind of you you know you touched my heart a little bit when you talked about how special they were to your life because I you know I'm a huge fan, particularly of Ozzy era Black Sabbath. Um, Me too. That, that's 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 my sweet spot. I love Dio, but yeah, but yeah. the uh, the Ozzy era is just. You know, I, I, I tell people, uh, you know, we did a we did an internal bleeding top 10 albums of 2020 and I put volume four on there <laughs> and and I and I wrote in there, no band has written any riffs better than the riffs that are on this album. And that's why yeah. it's there. Yeah. This is 1972. They wrote that album and those riffs crush, literally crush most bands riffs. Yeah, including yeah. including my bands, and that's not <laughs> that's not just the riffs. It's the musicality. It's the tension and release of of the transitions between riffs. You know, it's the whole package. It's just I don't know, dude. It blows. It just I can I listen to I listen to Sabbath every day, and it still blows my mind every day. And I still air guitar in my car <laughs> when I'm listening to Black Sabbath. You know, like a little kid. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you know, it captures you. I, I know exactly what you mean. And all I'm getting at is that to try to do death metal that was more, we always say groove-oriented um, and maybe at a slower tempo than everyone was doing. Like you said, you were you were against the, the, the skank beat, uh, you know, towards the beginning. You really needed a drummer that could be in the pocket like that, and Bill had a signature yep. style. So that's all I was getting at with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, he totally did. Yeah. Now, another question while we're still in the old school stuff, something that's always been interesting to me. I never corresponded with him myself, but Richard C. from Wild Rags Records, um, uh-huh. uh, a notorious label that, that I mean, in, in addition to early. What, what was was it? Perpetual Degradation that he put out by Internal Bleeding? No, he, he, he first licensed. He first licensed Invocation of Evil before Perpetual. Got it. OK. Okay. Okay. So he worked with you guys very early on. He also worked with like, I think Blasphemy and Patigo, yep. a, a whole like yep. laundry list of, of diverse music, um, right off the top. And I can't say anything personally. I've read different accounts. A lot of people still praise him to this day. And there are some people who have made allegations 
of, I guess, uh, less less than um, uh, fair business dealings. I'll just leave it at that. Maybe you want to give your remembrances of working with Richard C. and and of that company, Wild Rags Records. If you ever met him, I don't know, things like that. I've met him. I've met him. Okay, so Richard C., to me, is probably the most important person in my, well, it's not really a career, but in my musical in my musical journey, he is the most important person wow. for a bunch of reasons. Um, I'll tell you a couple. Of, I'll give you a couple of, of of I guess examples of why he is. One day he said to me, "We were on the phone. We spoke every single day. He called me at work every single day, and we'd bullshit." While I was at work, no less, we'd bullshit for an hour on the phone. Um, and he he go he go he say stuff to me. He'd be like, "Chris, you get it, man." He's like, "The harder you work for your band, the harder I'm gonna work for you." He's like, "I've got a million bands who've signed to this label that don't do shit for themselves, and I'm not gonna do anything for them. I'll put out their tape, and it will sit in my catalog, and if it sells, it sells. But you guys." You work your ass off. I'm going to work just as hard as you are going to work to make you successful. So that's one of the things he said to me. And he always backed that up. We were always on the cover of the Wild Rag magazine. He always put ads in the Wild Rag magazine for us. Um, He always spread my flyers around. He always put internal bleeding displays up in the store. You know, um, he saw how hard I worked and he worked just as hard for me. Um... It was always fair dealings, we, but we never dealt with money. I didn't want money. We said, okay, you can license our demo. I want X amount of product in return. And fair enough, boom, I get my X amount of product, usually more, um, every time. And if I needed a repress, I'd have it fast. So um, that's one story. Then another story when I first met him, we were on tour with Immolation and, and Six Feet Under. And we were playing in California, and Richard came to the show. And I was all excited, you know. I could finally get to meet him in person. And, and we had met him in the afternoon at his store, and he showed us around the store. And he bought us lunch, and we had a great time. But I remember at the show, I was selling merch, and somebody was haggling with me for a shirt. And Richard grabbed me. I mean, he fucking grabbed my shirt and he pulled me fuck, pulled me right to his face and he goes, don't you ever sell your band short. Your shirts are $20. That's how much they are. You're worth it. Don't discount it. Wow. Wow. All right. Yeah, that's good advice. And, and, for sure. And, and then, and then, and then uh, I don't know why I, we got to talking later after the show. And I was like, wow, Richard, that was, I, I was telling him, I was like, you know, I do this all the time. He's like, don't ever discount your stuff. And I'm like, yeah. why? What if it's a friend? What if he's short at five bucks? If he's a real fan, he'll find the five bucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he said, think of it as politics, because him and I used to talk politics all the time. Right. He, he said, he said, every time somebody buys something from, from you, that's a vote for you. Look at it that way. But your vote costs money. You know, you're a corrupt politician and people have to pay for your vote, you know. And he said, look at it that way. He's like, but they need to buy into your band. You don't get your band. 
then you will get no yeah. respect if you give your merchandise or your music away. Never give your merchandise or your music yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, somebody. So, so, so. Yeah. As a young guy, well, I wasn't young. I was probably thirty something by that time, in my thirties. Because what am I, fifty-two now? So it's probably almost thirty or so. But at that time, who was still naive. You know about the music industry and and about uh, retail sales and all that stuff in general. I learned a lot from him, man. And I know that sounds cold and callous what he said to me, but you know, the more I think about it, the more I I think on 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 an, a higher level. Like I don't agree. I I would like I I I'll cut somebody a break on a price, but uh, but but on a higher level, he's correct. Yeah, you know. Yeah. If somebody keeps trying to weasel you down on price, they don't respect you to start with. Yeah. If they're short a couple of bucks, like I get it. But if they're con if they're trying to if you see the same people at shows always trying to get five dollars off or whatever, they yeah. don't respect the band. They just want the merch. Yeah. You know? I, I, and, uh, I agree there's a gray area. There's it's definitely it's, a gray right. area. It's less about the shirt, it's more about the mindset. Yeah. Right. Of, of how you handle yeah. your, your business and how you handle your, you know yourself your art. right uh, you know uh, yeah it, it is and that's ta it, it taught me a lot you know um i put in a lot of work um the bands put in a lot of work i paid a lot of dues i've been screwed by a lot of people i've been abused by a lot of people and and you know you gotta you gotta pay to have access you know that's just the way it is yeah it, it's true and somebody once explained it to me like this you know, when, when you make when you put all this into it, you you, you, you print up T-shirts, you print up CDs or tapes or whatever it is nowadays, uh, you know, and, you know, obviously, you know, with current events, COVID-19, everything's different now. But, you know, most of the time bands are going to play shows, you're not getting paid or you're getting paid barely enough for gas for the whole band to get there or whatever. Uh, you know, don't yet yeah, don't give your merch out for free. You know what I right. mean? If somebody helps you out or if it's just, you know, there's circumstances, obviously, but just right. in general, right. like, don't be that guy that's just giving out free shit to everyone who walks by because people will use it as a coaster. You know, I mean, right. like, like, save it. And even if it takes six months and you sell it on the Internet or you sell it at the next show down the road or whatever, the person who actually pays the ten dollars for it or whatever full price for it, they're going to have value invested in it you know don't right. you, you don't just, right. you, when you give it away for free there's no value in it to begin with you know right and you know that's you know it's funny looking back on it when we came out with the one dollar demo we wanted to give it and and maybe i understood this on a on a on a level before richard told me about it but the guys wanted to give the demo away and i said no people need to pay for it even if it's only a dollar mm. and anthony and anthony Maiola said yeah it's the dollar demo you know, and he, yeah. that's where he came up with the idea. We came up with the idea for the dollar demo. You got to pay something for it. You can't have it for free. Yeah. You know, well, it, it's true, though, because people just even if it's a dollar, you know, people have some something invested in it. They're not going to just toss it to the side. Right. It's I, I right. believe in that, too, man. And um, okay. so, you know, we're still in the old school days. Something I got to talk about. We mentioned before we're in Huntington, the Roxy, Oh God. Uh, which we've brought up before on the podcast. Uh, we've talked to other people who used to perform there, things like that. Obviously, it was it was like just slightly uh, by the skin of my teeth. I was a little too young to have gone there, so I always liked uh, hearing about it. I know Internal Bleeding, you used to play there quite a bit as a local Long Island band. You guys probably opened up for some pretty big names back in the day, right? Absolutely, man. We got um, – we and, and Frank Cariola is another guy like Richard C. Um, 
another big influence on me and a very important person to me. Um, he had the same attitude as Richard C. The harder you work, the, if you draw people and you work hard and I see that you're promoting yourself, I'm going to give you the good shows. And and that's what we did. When, you know, he gave us a, first he gave us a shot. You know, we were, you know, we, I, I don't remember how I first, I think I drove down to the Roxy in the afternoon and I gave him a demo tape and a press kit and all that stuff. And I said, we'd love to play a show, you know, and I don't remember. I think it was Bolt Thrower was the first show we played with them oh. for, at the Roxy. I think, I don't know. You know, um, I don't remember. I remember that we got a huge, a really good reaction and, and Frank had pulled me aside and said, I'd like you to get on another show. You guys really should promote your band more. You know, um, you got something good going on here. The kids loved it, you know? And um, so, you know, next show we did, I can't remember. Maybe it was Life Agony. You know, we, we, we Frank noticed, we, we played the show, we killed it. Frank noticed that the line at our merch booth was longer than Life Agony's line, you know? And, and he said, keep it up you know and 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 it just steamrolled from there you know and i and everybody in the band busted their asses back then we flyered everywhere we had flyers everywhere you know and we had funny we everything was done with humor it wasn't like you know an internal bleeding show it was you know uh, kill your dog piss on your priest and come see a show you know right. stupid we'd say stupid yeah. stuff on our flyers you know like really outrageous funny things you know and it caught on you know i mean i i i I give 80% of it to the music, uh, our music, and I give 20% of it to the hard work that Bill, Anthony, Frank Rini, every, Brian Hobby put in. You know, we went flyering and put flyers everywhere, all the time, constantly. No matter where we went. If we went out, went out to a club on Saturday night that wasn't even related to death metal, we were handing out flyers. Huh. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, um... All that promotion paid off with, with the Roxy because then eventually Frank let me book my own shows and I put on Death Fests, which was, which was great. I had, I had some great bands. You know, I had Dave Cole Ross's first band, Discord. Uh, I forgot the name of the band. Discord, I think. It, no, I don't remember what the name. But Dave Cole Ross's first band was, I had him down. Was that I had some. Disgorged, like past tense? Was that the No, Disgorge, maybe it was. I can't remember his first band's name. Okay, okay. I, I have the. The album's called Thy Hideous Wake. I know that. Um, okay. It's Cole Ross's first band from upstate New York. I brought them down. I brought, I brought, I, I got Human Remains to play some of my fests. Uh, Ripping Corpse. So many great bands. Sick. Hell yeah. Wait, what, did you look up the name? Yeah, Disgorge. Uh, I hate to oh, say it, Will was right. right. Yeah, Will, Will <laughs> got that one. Past tense. That, Quit flexing, Will. Uh, I remember. <laughs> I can't, I, I remember. So, um. Frank was a big a big deal when the Roxy closed down. It was it was heartbreaking, and I think the Roxy closed down because of us. <laughs> Violence it shows. Somebody broke their when we played with Deicide. Somebody broke their neck yeah. when we were playing. Yeah, sued us, sued, sued us for ten million dollars. Oh my god! Sued the Roxy. Sued the town of Huntington. You know they sue everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I have a feel. I have a feeling that's what led to the closing of the Roxy. Ooh. Now this is if anybody's heard an infamous story Allegedly. where Glenn Benton of Deicide comes out on stage. If I got this yes. right, Chris, this is where he came out and said, "Oh, I heard someone tripped over Satan's dick." 
right? Yes. Yeah. He said Satan's tail, though. Okay, okay. I, I mean, it's I, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I yeah, think but, but he did, he's like, I guess somebody tripped over Satan's tail. Yeah, yeah. I've heard it from people who were there. Wow, so uh, now this is something that I've, I've asked uh, quite a few of our guests who are from the old school. I talk about how back in the day, surveillance cameras and CCTV in these venues wasn't as prevalent. People having uh, camera phones in everyone's pocket wasn't as prevalent. And we ask about, was it more violent at these shows back in the day? Did people get away with violence? And were sex and drugs more prevalent at these clubs? Are, are shows more tame now in that regard? That's a really good question. And I don't know. Here's here's my answer. You plead the fifth. I don't, <laughs> I don't, no, 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 no. I don't know if. The violence was definitely greater back in the day than it is today. Um, I think same same with the sex and drugs. But I don't think it's because of CCTV and everything else. I think it's a cultural shift. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, I think a lot. I think uh, you also have to put yourself in the framework that now that... Death metal's 25 years old, 30 years old now. It's not new. It's not cutting edge. It's not considered really extreme anymore. It's more mainstream. Let's be honest. You know, a lot of people, you know, Slipknot's not death metal, but it's it, it, it borders on it at times. You know, and, and they get huge amounts of people listening to it. Back in the early 90s, death metal was a like a private club. Yeah. You know, nobody knew about it. And the people who knew about it knew about it and they were into it and it was savage, you know, and it was all about killing people and and <laughs> going nuts and breaking bones and getting bloody noses and, and you know, violence, you know, and and I think um, and I don't think it was hateful violence. I'm just saying that it was definitely different without a doubt. It was it's nowhere near as violent and out of control as it is, you know, as it was, you know, today. But then again, why I say it's cultural, because hardcore shows, man, we played some hardcore shows, they are violent as all hell, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm saying something cultural has gone on in the death metal world. I can't put my finger on it, but it's just not the same. It's not as violent as it was. Well, you know, some, you remind me of something, because I, I've brought this up. People like, you know, co-workers, just people that are not from the metal world at all who I speak with, they'll be like, well, if I come to one of your shows, are they going to beat me up, you know, or something? Hmm. And, you know, it's it's funny, but people that's people's perception maybe. And I say you're far more likely to get into violence, to get into some, some sort of altercation or something at your average neighborhood nightclub where people go yeah. to, to dance and drink and meet girls or whatever yeah. than you are at a death metal show. You know what I mean? Like, because every at a death metal show... Everyone assumes that if you paid the money to get in, that you're that you're part of the club, so to speak. You're part of the underground death metal scene. It's more of a family type of feel for the most right. part. It's it's way more intellectual know. now. I feel like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there's a lot of like hmm, riffs. You know these riffs. Yeah, people and appreciate like, it more for the art. And I think, counting. You know than I guess the type of person that would be attracted to like a, you know like like cutting edge extreme lifestyle might be more into like doing a lot of drugs and listening to uh mumble rappers or something now yeah. maybe you know probably you're probably right you know that's that's what what's at the cutting edge now i mean i don't know Clown uh, core. 
don't yeah, know. whatever. Yeah. Juggalos um, you know, or funny, something. It's funny, Will. You said you you had mentioned that story that you you have more chance of being killed at a regular. So my wife doesn't listen to death metal at all. And the first death metal show I took her to, she was scared to death. <laughs> she thought yeah. she thought she was going to get stabbed, raped, beat up, you know, punched in the face, this and that. So we're going home, and she's like, oh, my God, everybody's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're all such sweethearts, and they look so scary. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, we're all, we're, it's, it's, it's a big, and, and it's, I always say that, 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 and I like to try to keep it like that. Death metal's a club, yeah. like, like an exclusive club for people who get it, you know, mm-hmm. who people who understand it, you know, and, and I still feel pride when I, when I say I play death metal, you know, because... A lot, still a lot of people don't know what it is, you know, and they're like, what's yeah. that? And you're like, I know it's my little secret, you know, or whatever, you know, it's like an exclusive club that we all belong to. Yeah, it's it's true, man. That That's definitely a lot. A lot of, I, th- I feel like it's grown into that, too. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we talk about the, the violence it shows. You said, said about the hardcore scene. I know just seeing old show flyers. It seems like internal bleeding was crossing over. I know you guys probably played with Neglect a few times. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. as similar bands back in the day. And back in the 90s, you didn't see that element of, of death metal bands. Uh, you know, like I always reference Hatebreed touring with Dying Fetus in the early 2000s. But in the 90s, you didn't see that so much. There was more of a wall between the genres still. And you, you, you just mentioned that at the Roxy, uh, playing with Bolt Thrower and then Life of Agony. Yeah, right yeah. there. Right there. We, we, we well, I guess because of our sound, we got we played with a lot of hardcore bands. We 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 went out of our way to play with hardcore bands. Yeah. So so like Billy was good friends with Derek from Neglect, so we'd we'd hook up shows together and play together. And um, you know, we fucking we you know how many shows we got hate breed? I can't, I can't even uh, tell uh, you. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Jamie doesn't. Jamie doesn't pay any attention to us now, though. Except when, he, except when he rolls into New York and wants to drop a name, you know. Mm. Right. So, sorry. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> just, just had to throw that out there. <laughs> anyway, um, we were able to play with hardcore bands back then, I think, because our music meshed with hardcore. Yeah. But I also think that uh, I, you know, I don't know, but I think hardcore back then was a little more open-minded than it is now. Hmm. I could be wrong. Well, I, I feel like now it's almost got, because we talked about this a little bit. We had, You know, we had uh, Trevor Paris from Obituary was on the program last week, and we talked with him a little bit how it seems like a lot of kids that, that maybe are in their 20s now grew up on hardcore, uh, got way into bands like um, uh, Obituary, uh, municipal waste, um, uh, uh, power trip, things like that, and there, there's this resurgence of crossover, but it's in a totally different sense than than it was back in the day, you know. Yeah, I think I think I think you're right. And Obituary is like the perfect band to play with hardcore because they're yeah. the yeah. Obituary stomp, stompy as hell, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 hardcore is all about being stompy, and and Obituary is super stompy, you know. And um, I think it's good. I hope there's more. I hope there's more. I, I hope uh, more hardcore kids get into death metal and, and vice versa. You know, I hope yeah. more death metal kids get into hardcore. I, I don't understand why there has to be a wall between music. I think like, I, I, I never got that. I, I did. If you don't like something, fine. But 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 
taking like a, a some kind of quote unquote principle stand against another type of music is like blows my mind if you like it you like it who cares there's definitely still purists on either side but all the interesting stuff is happening in right. that gray area in the middle know, yeah. in, in the middle of right. like, uh, people taking right. influences right. from everywhere I, I, mm -hmm. totally agree i never i never understood the purist you know i'm only gonna listen to this and i'm only gonna go support this well you know if you like another band go see them <laughs> you know what's the big yeah. deal yeah they just yeah. really, yeah. really like that club. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, like, they got the secret room. But that's the that's the downside of that club mentality. <laughs> Some people take that too seriously, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, now, we talk about uh, voracious contempt, extinction of benevolence. That We're in the mid-90s mid now. Uh, I've always brought up, uh, you know, I even mentioned it before, disfigured and repudiation uh, you also have, in, you know, that's straight up Long Island there in, in Queens. Then you have oh, yeah. dehumanized coming up. You have this kind of next generation in that in that era of uh, Long Island death metal that are uh, doing a lot of slam oriented stuff. I always say disfigured and repudiation kind of came up and were maybe the next generation of internal bleeding. I'd like to hear from your perspective. When do those guys come into the scene? When do you meet those guys? Rest in peace to Matt Ferrara, obviously. And just maybe give your perspective of those two bands that I've always kind of had in my imagination tied in with Internal Bleeding and when you meet them. I, you know where I met them? All at the Roxy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At Internal Bleeding shows. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. If you look in the, in, the, in the tray photo of the original Voracious Contempt album, you can see Dehumanized, uh, you know, Repudilation, all those guys, they're all in the pit. You know, yeah. So uh, it's really cool to see that that they sprung up out of out of like IB and Pyrexia and and stuff like that. You know, they are like you said the the, the kind of the second wave. You know, um, and I think they took Repudiation really took it far. You know, and 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 Dehumanized was more. I think Dehumanized was more like more like. Like a classic IB kind of sound, but Repudilation really like went extreme with the IB sound. It stripped away even even the stuff that we stripped away, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And went went really extreme with their stuff, you know. Which I think it's great, you know. It's cool as hell, and it's cool to see it happen, you know. Well, I always tell people, and I feel like nowadays a lot more people understand um and 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 give the credit but uh i always used to tell people when you know over the years devourment when devourment came out obviously devourment did their their thing and they're a great band i'm a i'm a devourment fan but repudilation kind of pioneered what devourment was doing with the guttural vocals and the straight up slam riffs you know and the almost like 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 hip-hop influence um exaggerated you know that sort of thing um yeah you know what i would tend to um I would tend to agree with you, you know? I think uh I think rep repudiation is the real I guess the real start of of that ultra guttural extreme slam if you want to call yeah, it that. Yeah. You know? I I, I think I, I think I would agree with you on that for sure. And, and it you almost know? it almost seems like nowadays with the mod like slam, you know, you see you see the slam scene, there's this element of kind of um uh humor 
uh, uh, kind of like uh, you know weed culture and things and things like that. And Reputation was even doing that back in the mid nineties. Uh, you know, that's yeah, nothing new. Were. You know, they, to- they, to- they totally were. And that, and you know, I think that was always. I think that, you know, I think they picked up on our sense of humor, and they took it. They took it to the extreme. Mm-hmm. You know, we always had a sense of humor with everything that we did. You know, but they really took it to the extreme, and I think I think they they should get a lot of credit for what they did. You know, they they took what we did and and went further with it, yeah. or went backwards with it. <laughs> However you want to. You know what I'm saying? Because they stripped away, uh, they stripped away any. We had some musical elements. They st- stripped away all the musical <laughs> elements. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. You know, you know what I'm saying? And and so, um, yeah, they should get a lot more credit for what they did. You know, I, I saw something interesting just quickly. I saw on Metallum, I saw Reputation drummer Brian Wish and filled in for Internal Bleeding at one point. Yes. Uh, I think he did two shows with us. Okay, I'm it's, a little sketchy because it's it, there's very few uh, and far between times where um, Bill Tolley wasn't uh, in, in the band. Yeah, you know, as we go into the late '90s, another thing I bring up with a lot of guests is that it seemed like death metal uh, fell out of popularity. Things like black metal and new metal and hardcore were more on the rise in the late '90s, and uh, what's interesting though is that you guys, it seemed like, um, just just rode the rode the wave because you had already established a lot of credibility with the hardcore scene. Would you see it that way in the late '90s into the 2000s? I think, um, yeah. So, um, you know, after '97, we got rid of uh, I got rid of Anthony Maiola and we got Guy and the Guy Marche in the band, and Guy and I hit it off real well, and we uh, we took internal bleeding to a whole new level. You know. Um, more hardcore more um i didn't want to i was the one who drove the vocal direction where it wasn't guttural vocals um because i wrote i had written lyrics for that album that i thought were very meaningful and i wanted people to hear them and the whole world seemed to have been going after after extinction of benevolence the whole world seemed to have been going guttural and we we were like let's run the other way you know, and not go guttural, you know, um, mm-hmm. just because we wanted to stand out and because I wanted my lyrics to stand out a little more. So I think that, and you know, I think uh, that album influenced a lot of bands, man. I, I get a lot of people come up to me and from uh, deathcore bands and said it was, you know, an in- influential album in their lifetime when they heard it. You know, Chris yeah. McCarthy, uh, our, our other guitarist, thinks it's the best death metal album ever put out. I don't know about that, but, you know. (laughs) Well, it is a great album. I would definitely agree that it deserves more credit. Uh, And you talk about Guy Marche. I was actually, you know, doing the research and taking notes today. If I got it right, I believe that he and um, uh, vocalist Keith DeVito are the two guys who have been in suffocation, internal bleeding, and pyrexia. Yes. Right? Yeah. So Yes, uh, they are... They're the sluts of Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Guy Marche. I mean, he had he had been in suffocation very early on, um, uh, in Pyrexia, and then he uh, he starts jam with you guys. I actually remember, weren't you guys working out of the A Room uh, rehearsal studio in Hicksville very heavily at that point? Yes, at that point we were at the A Room. Yeah, 
Because I was a little young, but I remember hearing a lot of stories. Didn't you got like, I allegedly had some really sick parties and shows there and stuff? Every every, every Friday night at the A Room, we had parties. <laughs> yeah, there was the internal bleeding room. Some I was, you know, fledgling bands I was trying to get together as a teenager would meet up there, and we would see the internal bleeding room with all the posters on it and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was so much. That was that, 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 a lot of good memories at that A Room, man. Yeah, yeah, man. So... So working with Guy when he comes in, um, like tell me a little bit because that's the you, you know you said that Anthony Maiola was the first writing partner you had. Tell us a little bit about getting used to working with Guy because he's very seasoned at that point, but maybe uh, used to a different, a slightly different style than internal bleeding. Um, okay, so the first thing the first thing I have to say about Guy is when when we finally got him in the band, I was scared to death. Okay, because Guy is one of the most fantastic musicians I have ever met in my life. He can play anything. If you say, Guy, play a country song, he'll make up a country song on the spot, and it'll sound great. You say, Guy, play a jazz song, he'll play a jazz song. Naturally gifted beyond belief. Far more gifted than I would ever be. So I was, huh. I was very intimidated um, by Guy. But I knew he was the right fit for the band, and... He improved my guitar playing a thousandfold within like two weeks, you know, um, and him and I, we got on the same page. We both had the, he's, he, guys are very, um, I would never step on his ideas. I always loved the guy's ideas and guy is, was always encouraging. Like I always looked up to guy as a better guitarist than me. So when he would hear one of my riffs even though i was pretty seasoned by this time you know i mean this is like 1998 we're writing the driven and conquer album i was still a little nervous sh showing him riffs even though i shouldn't be but i was and he'd be like yeah this thing rules let's do this you know super encouraging and and he made me such a better guitar player like i can't even i can't even explain how much better of a guitar player he made me um Did he... with him being in the band just a little, you know, like, specifics on Guitar Talk. Did he show you any techniques or maybe, um, like, simpler ways to play stuff? Because I know, like, you know, in death metal, it's it's sometimes an adrenaline game. Or It wasn't, it wasn't, mo it wasn't, he showed me a couple of technique things, but it was that natural, I'm competitive as hell. So right. he got my competitive nature up, which drove me harder, you know? And that's, I think that's really what made the difference, you know? Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. I mean, being around better musicians, maybe, that's how you get better. He, he did show me stuff. He's like, hey, like he, <coughs> he taught me about like, um, he taught me about inside picking and um, he taught me about economy picking, you know, stuff that I never really did. You know, I used to do like straight alternate picking up, down, up, down, up, down all the time, you know, on, on noty parts. But he said, no, you know, he's like, if you're going to go, if you're moving down a string, you should just move down with a downstroke. Don't, you know, if, if it's supposed to be an upstroke and alternate picking, just go a downstroke. It's a lot easier, you know. And so he taught me, he taught me how to economy pick, which was, I think, a big deal, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. You get, Te um, technique-wise, technique -wise, that was a big thing, but, but, but 90% of it was, a. Uh, 90% of it was comp 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 uh, my competitive nature just wanting to be able to keep up with him, which I eventually, you know, which I 
I, I could. And then, and then his, his just incredibly open mind and his, his creativity was, was something to behold, you know? Wow. Yeah. We, we, uh, we got, we've, we've reached that. We're trying to get him on the show. Um, we'd love to speak to him one day about that. Uh, and, and like I said, um, just interesting, uh, trivia that he, that he's been in, in, uh, all three bands, just like, um, uh, Keith DeVito. And we should also shout, shout out Ray Lebron, who did vocals on that album, Driven to Conquer, who people might know from his yep. work with Immortal Suffering, still around. Right, right, right. Ray totally Lebron. different kind of vocals, too. Yeah, well, it's funny, because when I first heard back in the day that Ray Lebron was singing for Internal Bleeding, I was like, wow, Ray Lebron's really guttural. And then when I heard what he was doing with you guys, you, you know, you were right. It was like a totally different style. So, you know, it just shows he's versatile. Yep. Yeah, he had a little trouble at first, but but Guy and I kind of, me, Guy, and Bill knew he was the right guy. He was the right person. We knew he could do it. You know, um, when we tried him out, we asked him to sing the way we wanted him to sing, which wasn't guttural. And he wasn't perfect at it, but he had the ability to do it. And he fell right into it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mentioned before, you, you know, we talked about how uh, things started going very hardcore. Death metal wasn't as popular, but you guys were a little bit more, um, uh, you know, ingratiated in that hardcore side of things and that deathcore side of things that started blowing up. One thing I got to ask, though, is, uh, you know, we see, obviously, the only album in Internal Bleeding's catalog that you're not on is Onward to Mecca in 2004. Um and I don't know if you just want to, was Matt Farrar, was there any point where you and Matt Farrar were in the band at the same time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, we played uh, the Massachusetts, Matt and I played the Massachusetts Hardcore Metal Festival together. Wow, well, yeah. That was, um, that was probably a good one those, those years back then. So, so we, 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 did, we did do that show. Um and uh, I think we practiced a, a while with him. I can't, you know what, Will? I can't remember. That was a that was a tough period of my life. Mm -hmm. So um, my memory's kind of I don't know if I'm black blacking it out because it was emotionally difficult, or just I had so much going on. I had just started my own business. You know, I was swamped with work and and dealing with bullshit and stuff like that. So I can't I can't remember plainly, but I I do remember playing the Massachusetts Hardcore Metal Festival with him. So, okay, just a, kind of like a trivial question, but you know, because we, you know, uh, fans of the band know that he played guitar on uh, "Onward to Mecca," um, and uh, yep. th that was actually uh, the last Internal Bleeding full-length album for ten years until Imperium, right? Right. Yep. And you know, you mentioned I, I'm not going to drag it out of you. Uh, you know, all due respect to you and, and your your life, your private life. But I do know, in doing the research, I watched your interview from several months ago with uh, that drummer guy on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you just, I would say it was inspiring. You gave a talk about some of the personal sacrifices and hardships you endured uh, to start your own business and to be successful at it. So I would just, you know, I would just say that that was, right. if, if people are more interested, uh, they, they could hear you speak to that. And it, it was, personally, I found it inspiring. I thought it was a positive um uh, a talk. Thanks. Uh, you, uh, you know, um, I, I, I always, I think I said this in, in, in my interview with him too. I, I, you know, with Josh, um, I am a person of average intelligence. I'm no smarter than anybody else, you know, 
if you have a passion and you want to turn it into a business, you just have to be the, the, the thing that separates the successful people and the failures is how far you'll go to the wall. You know, um, I went to the wall. I went to the mat for my business. I sold all my possessions. I got rid of a car that I loved. Um, I slept on a bare floor for months on end, you know, because I had no money. But I was re I refused to go back to the working world, you know, uh, to the corporate world. And and I, I 80 percent of, of starting getting your own business up and running is grit. And the other 20 percent is being good at what you do. But grit is is everything. And like I said, I'm of average intelligence. I'm no smarter than anybody else. But you just got to go to the fucking mat and you've got to sacrifice and 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 be willing to be uncomfortable and eat ramen noodles every day and sleep on a floor and be uncomfortable and be miserable and you know just keep your eye on the prize you know and that's i'm convinced every anybody can do it you know and and america proves that anybody can do it because there's a million people out there who never graduated high school and and some of them are my clients you know they never graduated high school and they're multimillionaires because they dedicated their entire lives to installing flooring or whatever, you know, and they went to the mat and they, they pushed through and they did it and they lived with the discomfort and they came out on the other side successful, you know. So um, I think anybody who wants to do it should really do it because it's very liberating. Wow, man. Um, and so obviously you had a, it's, it's, you know, an understatement to say you had a lot going on. Uh, during that time period, we know that the band puts out Onward to Mecca with Bill Tolley being the um, only original member. Uh, and then eventually um, the band uh, ceases activity. We know that. Well, me and Guy, yeah, I understand. You have to, I got to interject a little. Me and Guy still wrote most of that album. You did? Okay. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot to really ask because what I wanted to talk to was. The writing of that album, how much did Matt Ferrara have? And maybe go into that. You and Guy wrote a lot of that album. I think Guy and I wrote every every song except for three. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so me and Guy wrote most of that album, you know, and I left. And then um, I don't know if it was I think it was Frank Buffalino who did the who did the I think it was Frank Buffalino and Matt Ferrara who did the writing after that. Yeah. Along with Jerry and Bill, you know. Yeah. Okay, that, well, that that's interesting to know because a lot of this, you know, it, it is interesting to follow as a fan to go back and, and revisit some of these older albums, like you mentioned with Driven to Conquer, um, and maybe take I mean, us... Even if you look in the liner notes, if you look in the liner notes, I wrote a lot of the lyrics on that album, too. Huh. Wow. So, all right, so you're, you are on that album in a lot of ways. You just didn't actually physically track a guitar, but you're, you're, you're singing. I only track... Yeah. I only track... I only tr tracked one one guitar part at the end of this day I fight. That's it. Okay. And um, that's all I asked to do. I asked, I said, could I do that? And the guys were like, hell yeah, come on in and do it. So I, I did that little, like, clean guitar part at the end. And that's it. The rest of the guys did that album, and they did a great job. Okay, because... Well, what I'm leading up to is, you know, you obviously had a lot going on uh, in your professional life and your life outside of music, but then take us through leading up to 2014's Imperium, because 
In 2014, the climate was a lot more friendly for legacy death metal acts. Um, there's, a, there's a whole Ooh. younger generation that's friendlier to the younger death metal and supportive of it. And you came back with a lineup, Keith DeVito, Brian Hobby, um, uh, Jay, Jay Liff was a newer Jay member, but, 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 you know, just having Keith DeVito and Brian Hobby, um, it was kind of like a vintage lineup in a way for internal bleeding. Um, and, and, and having Keith DeVito in the band was kind of an interesting twist too, for fans of Long Island death metal. Right. And you know what? Originally, originally it was going to be Frank mm -hmm. Rini. Um, so, so all of this kind of started in 2010 when um matt bishop had uh, a guy named matt bishop had reached out to me and said hey could you get internal bleeding together for the set uh, to play a, a tribute show at, at central illinois metal fest matt bishop i think it was Lividity. 2010 he asked me about that lividity and i was like i don't know you know and then my wife my wife encouraged me to get the band back together because she knew how miserable i was without the music mm -hmm. um so I kind of got the band back together, and Frank was going to be in on it. So it was me, Bill, me, Bill, Brian, Frank. Um, I don't, and um, I don't know who we had. I think we had Jay Lift going to do bass, and uh, but Frank was about to have a kid, and he had to focus on his family. So that kind of fell apart. That 2010 um, thing uh, with Central Illinois Metal Fest fell apart. But my wife encouraged me to keep going and getting the band together and go, you know. So um, me and Brian and Bill were talking, and Brian's like, oh, I'll talk to Keith. He'll sing, you know. And I was like, oh, man, DeVito would be awesome. He's so sick on vocals, you know, and Jay, Jay agreed. And then Keith said, sure, he'd join up. And then next thing you know, we were writing an album, huh. you know. And I didn't expect that, uh, but it, that's just what happened, you know, um, thanks to my wife being encouraging. Uh, that's awesome, man! Shout, shout to her. The uh, the death metal community worldwide, I guess, owes uh, owes a little bit of, of uh, credit to your wife. Then, um, in addition to you guys, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, she deserves a lot of credit. She put up with a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and you guys come back with Imperium, uh, a unique leader records, 2014. Uh, start playing out live again. Start becoming an active band again with. Excuse me. With Imperium, I actually, 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 we came back as a more active band. We did more touring than we had ever done, you know, and more appearances than we had ever done because uh, all of us could tour. So we were we were hitting the road a lot. Did Did you find that there was like more opportunities for you because maybe um, people were thirsty to see you? That you know there 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 wasn't a lot of tours back in the early days. Yeah, especially in Europe, you know. We got a lot of we got a lot of a uh, lot of offers to go to Europe and and festivals and oh it was great you know it felt it felt good to go back get back to playing you know so it's safe to say and that it was like, I'm sorry go ahead mm. no please will go ahead I forgot what I was saying anyway <laughs> I'm liable to do that too my bad I was just gonna say is it safe to say that you played more you toured more and performed out more frequently in this era of the band since 2010 than you did originally in the 90s we toured more um appearances i don't know about like we used to do appearances back in the 90s all over the all over the place we'd drive to california for a show on the weekend you know 
Um, but but as as far as like legit tours, since we came back, it's a lot. It's been a lot more. Like we're we're an actual international touring band now, which is something I always wanted to be, you know. And um, we're finally here. Yeah, I want to I want to get into that a little bit. Didn't you guys actually do three shows in one day at one point? What? Three shows? No. Are you talking about what we just did last year, where we played, where we played England? We played two shows in England. Flew home, did one local show. Then flew right to Japan and did two shows. That that's ridiculous. So we did. Yeah, <laughs> we did three. I think we did. I think we did. I think it was three continents in five days. That's wow. insane. That beats what it, I was talking about. It was totally. Yeah. It, it was totally insane. We we played two shows in England. We flew home, slept for about seven hours, played a show on Long Island, slept for about seven hours. Got on a plane, went right to Japan, played two shows in Japan, came right back home. Jeez, that's wild. That must have been like a shell. It was the best time of my Yeah. It was the best time of my life. I I can't believe that I did that. And you know, when I'm on my deathbed, that's one of the things I'm gonna remember. Because that was insane. Hell yeah, man. And I also got to go to the Black Sabbath house during those five days. So, you know, where they shot the picture for the first album. <laughs> so um, I made our bus driver drive there, and he was great. This guy named Cliff, he was great, and he, he drove us there. And I got there, and I just I, I cried for like five minutes. And then uh, we had to sneak in to the place because it was closed, and we snuck in. <laughs> we crawled all over this barbed wire to get in and get pictures and stuff. Ah, best day of my life. Did you wow. bring a wig and recreate the cover? No, I should have. <laughs> it's one of my dreams. Um, I didn't. I didn't expect. To, I didn't expect to do it. But then can't. I was like, "We're going to England, and we have eight hours till the next show. I'm going to ask the bus driver if we can get to the Black Sabbath house." And he figured it out, and we went there, and we got to the show, the next show on time. It was great. It just worked out perfectly. Wow. That's that's awesome. That well, that tops whatever I thought yeah. happened. Yeah. I, I thought I remembered something <laughs> from back in the day of like you guys playing New York City and then two Suffolk County shows or something like that in one day, but I don't know what. Yes, did, did, no, we did. We did do three shows in one day. It was, uh, I think, it was the Wetlands in New York City. Uh-huh. Then a club. Then it was a club show in Bayshore. I forgot the name of the club, and then a house party. That's sick. Wow, man. All right. So those yeah, are Yeah, that was fun. Those are both pretty cool things to be able to say you did, man. I mean, the first one obviously is pretty mm-hmm. pretty wild, but okay. So well, if I didn't ask about that, we would have never gotten the intercontinental story. So that's good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So um and you know, obviously, we've talked about this before. I think when we had Kelly Schaefer from Atheist on, we brought it up how a lot of the classic death metal bands um, you have uh, a changing of the guard with band members through the years, and it's more like a sports team where you have a, a franchise um, kind of thing going on. You know, Suffocation, Pyrexia, you guys, uh, Atheist, uh, Gorguts. A lot of a lot of these classic bands. That's what happens over the years. Um, do you do right. you see it that way? Do you have any thoughts on that? I do have thoughts on that. Okay, and so. All those bands have one thing in common. Um, one person and a vision. 
So Chris yes. from Pyrexia has a vision, right? He's got a vision. Um, and he'll recruit people to help him complete his vision. Kelly's the same way. Yeah. I'm the same way. We, uh, we all understand that, A, in this music, you don't make a living out of it. So you have to understand that people are going to come and go. It's just, it sucks. I hate, I hate, I hate that there's, there's changes in lineups, but that's the way it goes. I mean, it's, if, if you're going to have any longevity in this scene where there's no money involved or very little money involved, you have to accept the fact that you're going to, you're going to have to get a new player and they have to be a team player. If they don't, you know, you got to find the right people. Um, you know, if you get a guy who doesn't like what, what you're playing, it's not going to work out. You got to get, you got to get somebody who's on board with your vision. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and well, that's kind of like a perfect segue because uh, Chris McCarthy, um, uh, guitarist who uh, people know uh, maybe from Without Remorse, uh, kind of a classic Long Island band, uh, he joins up with the band. What year did Chris join? Was that 16? Actually, I think 15. Okay. Regardless, he seems to have become like your ride or die, um, your right-hand man with the band the last several years. He seems to be so Say it again, it, it cut out. Uh, you're right. He seems to have become your right-hand man um, and really taken the brand and, and ran is. with it the last several years. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he's on board with the vision, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and he's a driven guy like I am. And him and I uh, share a lot of the same thoughts. Um, I look to him for advice in dealing with, you know, I, I am not, I don't have an ego to that. How do I explain this? <laughs> I'm 52. He's in his 30s. I understand that he's more in touch than I am sometimes. And I'll lean on him for that, you know, and he'll give me good advice. And I think that's that's another thing that, you know, when it comes to leadership that you have to be able to deal with is you have to put your ego aside and listen to people who are smarter or who know something more than you do. And I lean on Chris for a lot of that stuff, you know, but he's driven. He shares the same he shares the same vision as me, you know, oh, groovy yeah. and riffy. And you know, so we have the same we have the same goals, although we come at it from Chris and I come at it from two different directions so i come at it from more of a 70s classic ib death metal direction chris comes at it with a little bit more of a a pantera and metallica bite to his music and 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 we put it together and and we just make sure that it sounds like internal bleeding yeah chris is a great dude and uh you know uh myself him and tom we're all in, in like the same kind of age group and grew up playing shows together and it's interesting how we talk about uh, death metal crossing over into hardcore, where like his hardcore bands kind of crossed over into the metal area, when they were, when, like when we all played together. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, he, everything you said is, is like spot on. He's a groovy motherfucker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude knows what's up. Yeah, yeah so, I, dude, I I remember uh, bumping into him at a show. Like, it's all about groove. Yeah, yeah, all about the groove, man. I mean, I I remember bumping into him at a show right after he got the gig with IB. And he was the happiest man on the face of the planet. Yeah. And it was just awesome. Like, you know, and then seeing you guys doing the smoke sesh thing and chilling out and like vibing the way you do. It's uh, 
It seems like a perfect match, dude. That dude rules. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 really it's really great that um it's really great that I can help him in some small way make his dreams come true. Cause he, like me, like like me when I was a kid, he always wanted to be in a band and, and tour the world, you know. Yeah. And now he gets to do it, and I'm 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 happy that I have some small part in making fulfilling his dreams, you know. Yeah. Hell that's yeah. very, that's very, that's very gratifying, and um, it's I I don't know it's 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 a good thing that has come out of music other than the music is that you can influence people's lives in a positive way. You know, so I'm really I'm really proud that I was able to help him achieve his dreams. Same with Ryan, our bass player. You know, I mean, he always wanted to go to Japan and and ID got him to Japan and that's a big deal for him. You know, and it's a big deal for me, but but you know, I guess it's my band or whatever. You know, so I feel a, a certain amount of pride in being able to help him in his journey. You know what I'm saying? Well, if, if we use the sports franchise analogy, you're kind of, you know, you, you, know, you guys, you, Chris Basile, Terrence Hobbs, you guys are like the coaches, I guess, in a way. Um, right, right. Or, or the GMs or whatever you want to call it. Right. Right, well, you, you, you mentioned Japan. Actually, I think the first time I, I, I went to try to get you on the podcast, you were just gearing up to go to Japan and you guys toured with Vomit Remnants, right? Yeah. Yeah, My well, my question is, uh, Vomit Remnants is the first time, outside of Dying Fetus, who is like their own huge entity, even by the late 90s, but when Vomit Remnants from Japan pops up in the late 90s, that was the first time I got the sense that the slam thing had become its own thing outside of New York and outside of the East Coast. Um, Absolutely. You know what I'm saying, and they they kind of were were way ahead of the game. Like like they were the first epicardiectomy, if if you understand what I'm saying. I absolutely do. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. And they should get a they should get a lot of credit for what they did too, man. You know, I mean mm -hmm. they they took the the that New York or that East Coast sound and they ran with it. You know, and it's great. You know, it's awesome, and oh, I love those guys. Yeah, I, I love even their their latest album, the one that came out a year or two ago. Man, I, I thought I, I think those guys are great. Oh yeah, um, yeah, and Kes and Keske, the the head of the band, is is probably the nicest human being on the planet. <laughs> well, that that's always how it goes with death metal people. We were talking, and and that's another yep. example, isn't it, of a band where there's one dedicated guy that keeps the band going with different session members throughout the years, right? Yeah, I mean that's yeah, man. It's just it's the way it is, man. When you get older, that's that's the way it is. People fall by the wayside, and it's no, it's not, it's not personal. It's just the way it is, you know. And you get used to it. At first, it was it was heartbreaking every time a band member left. Now it's like, all right, well, we got to find somebody new. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the trait like my like. Any personal problem I I ever had in my whole life, my dad's advice was keep on trucking, you know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it kind of gets that you know he's like, well, got to keep keep the train moving, man. Um, and with that in mind, uh, you know, we should we we should mention um, again, darkforceslive.com is the website people can go to if they want information about your live stream coming up. It's the inaugural live stream. Right of uh, Dark Forces Live, which we talked to Trevor Paris of Obituary last week about it at length. 
Uh, it's a company that he's starting along with um, Sean Bell, a New York area promoter, and Joe Sincata, who you know very well, uh, Long Island sound engineer. Right. Yeah, Joe Sincata's the man. We're, uh, they asked us, uh, they, they kicked off this company, uh, a live stream concert company, and they were like, do you guys want to... Uh, you guys want to be our, our inaugural experiment? And we're like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> Fuck it. You know? And um, so, yeah, January 2nd, we're, we're doing this. It's going to be a live stream concert. It's not it's not us in our basement. It's a real stage. It's real lighting. It's real sound. You know, it's, it's, it's as good as live production can get without, unfortunately, the crowds. So we're hoping people are going to show up. Um, you had mentioned the website. It's darkforceslive.com, darkforceslive.com, darkforceslive.com. Yep, um, yep. There's ticket and merch packages available. Um, and hopefully uh, ticket sales have been good. We'd like to see more people join us. Um, you know, and hopefully people will and we'll all we'll have a good time. And we're doing a special... Uh, before the concert, we're doing a special video presentation um dedication to bill tolly so that should be pretty cool okay yeah and that's january 2nd at 5 p.m eastern standard time um uh you mentioned uh, it's it's actually right. we, we have all the notes here designatronics industries in ronconcom in new york is the um i guess you could say industry standard uh facility that you're going to be broadcasting from um and we got we covered a lot of yep. that in our interview with trevor uh, uh, so I just wanted to make sure we promote that. Um, that's, that's good to know that you're going to be doing the, the tribute to Bill Tolley. Uh, you know, we're going to be watching, checking that out. And Chris, before we let you off the hook, we have some questions from internal bleeding fans on our Patreon. Well, can I cut you off there real quick? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Tom. I just, one more thing about the dark forces thing. Um, I, I was watching you. Your... What's that, Chris? I said, wait a minute, we actually have fans who ask questions? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's what we do here. Um, but the, before we get into the fan... All right, anyway, go ahead. We yeah, before dozens. we get into the fan questions, um, something I thought that was interesting about the Dark Forces uh, ticket sales is that if you buy the ticket, you can watch it for a whole year. Is that correct? Well, absolutely. And it won't... It won't... The, the, the live stream concert will never show up on YouTube or anything like that. So the only way to see it is to buy a ticket. Right. So you don't have to be there for the exact day, but buy the ticket so you can watch it when you can get around to it. Okay. That's something that's good to know. Right. I'm Absolutely. glad you cleared that up on I your stream. That. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a really good practice. And I just want to put that out there for anyone who's not going to be around January yes. 2nd. If you want to watch it uh, January 3rd, buy the damn ticket. It'll be there. All those Japanese yeah, wrestling fans please. out there might not be around, but yeah, that's that's a good thing to know. I, I mean, you know what? Uh, Joe, Joe, Trevor, and Sean are really trying to do something to help the community, uh, the death metal community. And even if you don't like us, huh. you should support those three guys who are putting their balls and their asses on the line with a lot of money mm -hmm. to put this on. You know, so even if you don't like us, buy a ticket and and whatever get drunk and don't even watch it but you got to support these three guys who are really really actually trying to do something to help the fans yeah a hundred percent man and um you know we've been watching people kind of uh figure out their way through this live streaming thing uh ever since the pandemic started so it's it's great to see people from within the metal community 
um, try to step up and make a more standardized uh, uh, platform uh, for it. And I like, uh, Tom, thank you for adding that. I didn't realize that information that these concerts will not be available on YouTube and you can purchase a ticket and watch it exclusively for yourself uh, whenever you want if you, can't, right. if you can't watch it live. That's a, very, that's a really good um, uh, aspect I, of it. I feel like that's one thing that puts people off from this streaming thing yeah. is that, you know, you're not always around, and uh, it's, it's, it is more flexible in that manner, so you should support. And you can't just yeah, say... Yeah, well, absolutely, you know, absolutely. You can't just go, well, I'll watch it on YouTube, because you can't. Yeah. Um, but... Right. But but all right so uh, so Chris um, and this is this, this is this is pro this is pro sound so you can hear us you can hear us fuck up all the songs mm-hmm. you know perfectly mm-hmm. oh, Tr- Trevor from Obituary had a couple of funny stories about that man he- yeah yeah Trevor 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 told Trevor told me when I was talking to him uh, I think I was talking to him last week about it you know. And he's like, oh, man, he's, he told me, he's like, oh, I think I had a little too much whiskey. And yeah. we came into this song. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that's going to happen, man. You know, you know, people build up. There's no such even Rush makes mistakes on stage. You might not hear it, but they do. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. I course. mean, this all happens at a live so, at a, at well, a show anyway, but everybody else is drinking the same amount of whiskey. Usually. Yeah. Well, it's, exactly. It's part so of the, the live experience. So we're encourage people to feel drunk. <laughs> I will be there in spirit. Um, uh, but thank you. But um, being respectful of your time, we have a few questions. Um, Andy Sung on our Patreon wants to know what bands have been the biggest influences. No, I'm, not any, I'm not answering any questions for that Swedish bastard. <laughs> 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 is he is he Swedish? Yeah, yeah. I'm joking. Okay, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Andy, sir. I don't. I'm, I'm I not. Up, I'm not up to date, man. There's no, a we got to get Andy on the show. By the way, he's awesome. That dude. He's in yeah. some oh, sick he, bands. Yeah. The yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Now I know who he is because he, yeah, he he's up on our social media every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Andy Sung. What bands have been the biggest influences for Internal Bleeding? Not counting Black Sabbath. God damn it. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Agnostic Front, Black Flag, Slayer, Suffo, of course, um, Morbid Angel, Entombed, Danzig, Metallica, Early Megadeth. Okay. All right, man. Agno- the Agnostic Front there you there go. makes the last one. All right, love man. I, you know, I also love, like, I don't know if you ever had this conversation with anybody where it's like, yeah, check out my band. It's like uh, Agnostic Front meets Danzig. That's good. <laughs> That's just a Agnostic joke. Front's a big deal for me. I love oh, Agnostic Front. I mean, they're a huge, they're a huge influence. They're a huge. I used to go see them in the 80s all the time. So they're like a huge amazing. influence in my life. Shouts out to it. Yeah. Okay, and, next question. And Andy also adds, also would like to say uh, that we, Soils of Fate, would love to make a tour happen with internal bleeding after the pandemic. Um, which I, I would... Oh, prefer. it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I've talked, I've talked to Magnus, the guitarist, about this numerous times. It's going to happen one day. Yeah, that, that would be a good combination. Soil's a fake great band that we'd love to uh, spend more time talking about on another episode uh, for the listeners. Uh, here's, check a that little, out. Here's, a, here's a little Soil's a fake trivia. So 
I did their album cover for their last album. I designed their album cover for their last album. And I also did their, I also designed their Crime Syndicate album cover. Yeah, I, I remember that, man. Yeah, that's, um, and that, you, you do, you actually did the covers for all of the uh, Internal Bleeding albums since Extinction of Benevolence. Is that it? Yes. Except I didn't do Imperium. Okay. All right. Um, uh, and and uh, just moving along, uh, uh, Cody Hager says, what were your inspirations for streaming IB's practice sessions in the dungeon? Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. No. You know what? I think one thing I'm really um, thankful for is that no matter what iteration of the band we have, we have so much fun together um, that we just want to share it with everybody. Um, we're just regular guys, and we just, you know what? We just want to share. We just want to share our stupidity and our goofing off and all that stuff with everybody. I mean, that's really, honestly, that's the inspiration. We just, we just want to share, get, let people get to know us for who we are as far as we're not these super serious out of control like death metal maniacs we're a bunch of idiots from new york who are just having a good time and we want to let people have a good time and we know that a lot of people are cruising the internet looking for something to do you know and why not hang out with us for an hour and, and watch us jam and you know we'll yell stupid stuff at the microphone and have a good time. I mean, that's honestly, that's the inspiration because we're, we're saying to ourselves, God damn it. We're having so much fun. Why don't we just share it with everybody? Yeah. Well, that also speaks to the smoke session, YouTube channel you've been doing with Chris this year during the pandemic where you interview people and you talk about internal bleeding lore and things like that. Yeah, man, it's, it's awesome. And, and we should get you guys to come on the smoke sesh in person. We should all drive out to our studio and just, or we can cross, we can cross stream or something. We got to figure it out. Cross we'll, the streams. I mean, I'll, I'll go down there. I'll, yeah. I don't give a fuck. Let's, yeah. That would be fucking awesome. We would absolutely right. do that. All right, dude. We'll do we'll we'll do that because I think it'll be huge for both of us and a lot of fun. It will definitely be you know, fun. We'll we'll, we'll have a blast. Have five guys blabbing at once. You know, we'll all <laughs> we'll all get guests and we'll just we'll just pick on the guests the whole time. Yeah, Tom Tom <laughs> won't have to edit anything, so it'll be a lot of fun for him. Oh, yeah. Man. Love it. I'm so in. Will I'll, Will, I'll talk to you about that because I really think that's a great idea. No, honestly, yeah, we should set it up. We love doing stuff like that. Um, and it would, yeah, it would just be great to uh, to hang out and see you guys. I mean, it's been a rough year. Everybody needs to uh, to get together and, and start getting the underground scene uh, uh, in real totally. life, in real life again. We've been all tight. We got to get loose. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, well, on that note, somebody who's been to a lot of internal bleeding over, over uh, shows over the years. I don't know if you remember the uh, the Glading brothers, Dave and Trevor Glading. I know the name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fr uh, friends, friends of mine, more from my generation. Um, uh, Longtime Long Island death metal historian and collector Dave Glading says, "I've always, uh, I I'm wondering if Chris Prevelis has a treasure trove of IB stuff that we haven't seen, like photos, videos, old rehearsal tapes, unreleased songs, live recordings, cover songs, and stuff like that." And if you've ever thought of releasing any of it. Okay, so I have tons of I have tons of photos. 
from the early days. Um, and as soon as I get off my ass, I'll scan them and put them on the IB uh, Facebook page. I mean, I have some great photos of, of like, the, the, the band members that we talked about in the beginning, like Brian Richards and Tom, who, who weren't really part of the band, who were right in the beginning. I have pictures of them. Um, I have early pictures of me playing with Autumn Rain. Um, so one day I'll put those up. You know, I just have to go through them and stuff. It's just a lot of work. Um, I have a lot of rehearsal tapes from the 90s when we were writing Voracious Contempt. I have a lot of those rehearsal tapes. Um, I want to put them on YouTube. So, um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't charge anybody for them. Maybe a box um, set. I don't know. Maybe a box set's better. A box set. Yeah. No. I mean, I have like, I have like, twelve cassettes that Billy gave me a couple of years ago. He's like, I found these um, when I was moving or whatever, and it's all IB rehearsals when we were writing uh, Voracious Contempt. So there's like really like prototype versions of some of the voracious contempt songs on there. So I'm going to, I will eventually like rip them and put them on YouTube for everybody. I'm not going to sell them, you know, well, on, um, on that note. And some of, the, some of those tapes do contain unreleased songs. Like some of those tapes can, can uh, have songs that we spiked. Um, and we, but we spiked those songs, but you might recognize riffs from those spiked songs in other songs hell man you gotta you gotta use those riffs you know like you yeah, never, absolutely. never throw out a good riff like i remember we had this one song called song eight we never even gave it a title because uh we scrapped it but every riff from that song ended up in another song yeah but like together it didn't it didn't work as a song yeah, you know but we picked apart all the riffs and put them in different songs so that exists on one of the tapes. Well, on, on that note about unreleased stuff, what about the... Um, there's a lot of your albums that are hard to come by on a physical format. Is there any uh, plans for reissuing any of that stuff that's hard to come by nowadays? Oh, my God. This is, this is, this is, this is the bane of my existence. Mm. Um, we want to release... Voracious, Extinction, and Driven on vinyl. We're working on it with with pavement music, but they're kind of impossible to deal with. Oh. So um, they don't like money. It, it. I don't know. You know what? I honestly don't know what it is because he gave us an offer to buy buy all the stuff outright, and we agreed to it, and then he never responded. And then we got we went back to him and he gave us an offer again with a different number. Like it's just it I think he's like waiting for us to like blow up or something and then he's gonna try to sell it for a ridiculous amount of money or something. So it's it's a money issue and we're working on it, but as yeah. soon as we get it solved, it's gonna be really they're all gonna be re released. I, I so, feel I feel for you as a fan of the band. Um, you know, I'm always looking to, to fill those holes in the collection, man. But I feel for yeah, you, and I know that, we're being that goes. Held, we're basically being held prisoner, and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> but we're working Jeez. on it. Uh, well, at least that, it, you know, that should at least um, uh, satisfy a lot of the listeners who might be wondering the same thing. Maybe you'll get like 10% less of that question a year in your Facebook yeah, messages. I, I, I do get it. I do get it all the time. And, 
you know, people ask me, I get a lot of labels, smaller indie labels asking me, can I release, you know, do I have your permission to re-release uh, Voracious Contempt or this or that? And I'm like, sure, but if you get sued, huh. it's not my problem. You know, yeah. I'm, you know I, I just got to be aware of it because you never know. Yeah, cause, well, the little boutique, like, cassette and vinyl pressings are huge nowadays, especially those vintage recordings. So I'm, mm -hmm. sure, I'm sure you get those. Well, we hope you guys can resolve that. Um, I'm sure that's frustrating. That sucks, man. It, it's it's frustrating as hell, man. Yeah. Because I want it on vinyl, and um, I want it all remastered, so it's at least at least up to today's standards as far as remastering. Now, our demos, I still have the original reels for, so we're actually working on re-releasing the demos on vinyl where one side of the vinyl is going to be the original mix and the second side of the vinyl is going to be a, a 2020 or 2021 remix of those demos. So that that looks like it's going to happen, and that's really exciting. That's fun. That's that's cool, and it's definitely totally um, on beat with, with where the scene is at, is at right now. I, like I said, there's a big... Right market right now for those vintage recordings you know a lot of people respecting the old school right now yeah and i think i think you know i was talking to joe sincata about it and he's like i can bring out i can bring out sounds that i hear in the demos that they just couldn't do back then you know yeah and and joe joe could do all that and be watching five baseball games at once i have all the confidence right. in him and he's betting the man. on them all yeah, Joe's the man. <laughs> no, good, good. Shout to Joe Sincata. We wish him and Trevor and Sean Bell the best of luck with this Dark Forces uh, live venture. Yeah. Uh, and just quickly, two more questions from listeners. Um, Dave also just wanted to know more of a fun question. What kind of thought goes into selecting a band shirt to wear in promo photos? Is it something you put thought into or just grab the first thing in your dresser drawer? I know speaking for myself personally, you put hours of painstaking thought into which, which band you're going to represent. Yes. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, nobody wants to admit it, but fashion. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So here's the truth. I used to put hours and hours of thought into it. Yeah, because you want to represent I, your friends. Right. Now I usually put on, um, you know, I got kind of soured on that because I actually got comments from people that were pissed off that I didn't wear their shirt. <laughs> <laughs> got to respect that. It happens. I know. I know. Um, and and that kind of soured me on things um, as far shirt. as like, as far as like really thinking about what shirt to wear. Um, so I usually go by what my mood is that day that I'm going to wear the shirt and I say, you know what? I was listening to fucking Kanugia yesterday. I'm going to wear their shirt, you know? So that's, that's how I do it now. Okay. What's funny, man. I don't normally blow up anybody's spot, but you gave me the perfect segue for it, Chris, because our last question it's uh, a surprise question from one of my friends in the scene, someone I think you know too. But it's a guy who years ago, I've known him a long time, used to sweat whether or not I was wearing his band's shirt. It's, and, I, and he knows who he is, man. It's true. Rob Wharton from Cognitive. 
from New Jersey. We we bust balls. We've had him on the show. He's he's a he, I, I love the guy like a brother in, in the underground yeah, we had, scene. We had Rob on the smoke sesh too. I love him too. Good dude, but we bust balls. And Rob, you know you used to take it very seriously if I wore your cognitive <laughs> band t-shirts uh, alive when I when I came through New Jersey and Philly or not. Now you all right, man. You know it, man. It's all good though. It's all good because I did wear them. <laughs> um, but Rob just wanted to know quickly, and we both know where you're going, Rob. You're not slick. He wanted to know your top five upcoming upcoming bands because he wants you to say cognitive. <laughs> Listen, I love. Uh, I, I'm gonna put cognitive, but but cognitive shouldn't be. All right, let me let me talk about cognitive. Yeah, talk some uh, shit. Talk of, some it, shit. In the form of no, I'm not gonna talk shit. In the form of a drone is one of my favorite songs. Um. But they're not an up-and-coming band anymore. They're an established band, right? Good. Well, good point. When you say so, I mean... Uh, you know, if I if I got to look at the facts, you're right. The thing in is... My, in my mind... Yeah. In my mind, in my mind cognitive, cognitive is a legit, established, touring band. I, I wouldn't call them up-and-comers. So, I, I you know, sorry, right. Rob. No, I think you're right because, like, in my mind, sometimes like the only established metal band is like Iron Maiden and everybody else. But but you're right. Like, there's a certain point where bands have been around a while, and they and if anyone's put in the work, it's cognitive. So you're yeah. right. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Um, yeah, and, and I'm, they're not an up and coming band. Sorry, yeah. Rob. No, we we buzz balls. We love Rob Warden and Cognitive, uh, and we'll we'll have him back on the show. People can go back and check our episode with him. But uh, in that sense, though, now, now to answer his question, what are your top five upcoming bands? Top five? Oh, God, that's that's hard, man. Do you have a top um, two? <laughs> well, well, Vomit Fourth is probably my number one. Oh, yeah. Long Island and uh, Connecticut guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think they they've got it. Um, They've got it down, man. I think they're really, I, I, I think they're really good. Um, another favorite of mine, uh, you know, I don't know if you call them up and coming because they play more like old school, but uh, Carnegie, uh, do you know them? I'm not familiar to be honest, unless unless the uh, name is spelled some way where I see it on paper and I, I don't know the I pronunciation. Might, I might, I, I might be pronouncing them wrong. Yeah. Um, that's um, that's Paul from fucking um, Embalmers Sideband. Oh, okay, all right. Great, great freaking band. So those those are my those are my top two up and coming bands. I mean, um, three more. <laughs> you, know, you know what? I I I'm, I'm I'm in writing mode, so I haven't been listening to anything new in the past six months, eight months. I haven't been listening to. That. Yeah. The last new thing I listened to was um, like the Afterbirth and the um, which I love. Um, and the defeated sanity. Those are like the last two new releases that I've listened to, because I'm trying to avoid listening to stuff. Do you find it weird that people consider defeated sanity slam, and you are the slam? Like no, yeah, defeated sanity is not slam. They're on another planet. Yeah, yeah. Th yeah I, I love that they get like I don't know. Everyone calls them everything, and they they just they seem to have all the instruments figured out uh, that we're all still learning. Uh, they're just, they're just, they're just pure genius. Yeah. Wild. Wild you know? um, I, I wish I could play like any one of those people, but I can't. Like the Coltrane so. of death metal. 
yeah. when he was they're, new, you know. They are the greatest death metal band going as far as technicality and composition is concerned, but they're not a slam band. No. And you know, they're, they're definitely not a slam band. No. I, I agree with you 100% and it's so strange how they 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 can lean into like but that's what? good. They can, you know, good yeah. for them. They have a little bit of everything. Exactly. Yes, I, I that, that's what I'm saying. It's like they lean into all directions, and no matter what you want to call them, you're kind of right because they do it all. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, dude. Like I said, I, I, I when I get in writing mode and we're writing a new album, I don't listen to death metal at all. Huh. Cool. Period. That after none. Is good, <laughs> yeah, afterbirth is awesome. Um, uh, it's I, like. Uh, it's otherworldly good, you know. Hey, hey, Chris. While we got you on here, I mean, while we 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 uh, first of all appreciate the afterbirth shout out. Quickly, we talked about old school stuff. Just rest in peace, respectfully. Uh, any any quick thoughts on Matt Duncan, someone who I never got to know personally? Yeah, original oh, yeah. afterbirth singer for the listeners. First of all, I don't think people realize how influential matt duncan was agreed as far as death metal is concerned yeah i mean him and johnny from mortal decay are probably the are probably in my view and this is my view only i mean i'm i'm sure quote unquote historians will disagree are the first who really really did the inhaling vocals and pushed it to the forefront especially matt matt was all over that crap his vocals were ungodly um and um matt was a why you know matt was i loved matt matt was a wild man you know he would tell me all kinds of crazy things that he would do but he was the mellowest like sweetest nicest he was a complicated guy you know what i'm saying i mean yeah he was just so nice. Every time I would see him, he was just, it was all about hugging and, and how you doing and everything okay and this and that. And, you know, um, but I know inside his head, he was conflicted and tortured and he was, he was just a tortured soul, which really sucks. But um, he doesn't get the credit he really deserves for being, I think, ahead of his time, you know, I really do. Yeah, with the just like I think, just like I think, Johnny from Mortal Decay is, was ahead of his time and doesn't get enough credit for. I, I don't think Mortal Decay gets enough credit. Period. Um, Agreed. Yeah. They're my favorite band. Period. They've always been my favorite band. Um, but you know, like I said, going back to Matt, Matt really took those inhale vocals and went completely overboard with them. You know, and and at that when 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 that first demo came out it was out those those vocals were out of control huh. and people people freaked out over them and i don't think you know I, I you know a lot of people today don't have that perspective of time but when you have that perspective i'll hold matt's inhale vocals up to any vocalist today who's doing like inhales and really froggy low toilet bowl vocals matt holds up right to him and Matt did it 20 years earlier, you know? Uh, agreed. And I've spoken at length on the podcast before about what a big influence and inspiration he's been 
to to my vocals and and things like that. I've you know just reiterating what you say. Agreed, man. Just um, appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, and it was you know it's it's it sucks, dude, because he was such a sweet guy. You know, it's like I can't believe what he did to himself. You know, um, that was a hard day when I went to when I went to his wake. That was that was a hard day. You know, I, I oh, it was terrible. Yeah, you know, yeah. I always I always loved the guy. You know, and he was always. I know he was a complicated guy, but he was always a sweetheart to me. And he was always at IB shows, you know? Yeah, I've heard a lot of those stories from back in the day. And obviously, you know, being an afterbirth now with those guys, I've heard a lot about Matt. So it was just good to get your perspective. I know that he spent a lot of time uh, at IB shows and afterbirth opened for you guys a lot back in the day. So we appreciate you sharing yeah, that, yeah, man. Yeah. And rest in yeah, peace man. to him and, and respect to his family, man. And, um, uh, you know, with that being said, Chris, we've had you on the horn a long time. Uh, we usually close out um, by asking our guests to recommend uh, any one older album and any one newer album by any artist you like. Doesn't have to be metal; can be metal uh, for the listeners. So we are going to try to squeeze one third new band out of you. All right, you know, can I give you a couple of things? Shoot, go for it. All right, all right, all right. So, um, if you haven't checked out the new Defeated Sanity album, you have to check that out. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everybody needs to listen to Black Sabbath Volume 4. Agreed. Everybody needs to listen to Brutality, Screams of Anguish. Oh, good one. Good one. Yeah. Florida. Um, Florida virtuoso, definitely. Most underrated Florida band ever. Yeah. They don't get the credit, that's for sure. They don't get any credit for being such. Them and Resurrection. Mm -hmm. Two great Florida bands who don't get any credit for anything, and it's a shame. Um... The new Putrid Pile is really good. Okay. If you haven't listened to that. Um, I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, and sick. Yeah. you need to listen to, if you if you haven't listened to Mortal Decay, you have to listen to Mortal Decay. Listen to Mortal Decay. I would listen, I would listen to, I would, if you're not, if you don't know Mortal Decay, I would start with the Grizzly Aftermath demo. Oh, okay. Because uh, uh, personally for me, it puts me in a in a when that came out that was like a big deal for me um and it's a great they're they're just a great band and another uh, oh wait cognitive they just came out with album. <laughs> rob uh i heard some of it uh rob had posted some of it it sounds pretty sick so you got to check that out and another band that not a lot of people know about that they should check out is demonacy from new jersey Okay. Um, they were yeah. a band from the '90s. Great freaking band. Um, they have, I think, they have some stuff on YouTube. You should check them out. And then finally, the Dead Shell Inherit by Baphomet. Mm, upstate boys, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Yeah, very brutal album. That that uh, there's a lot of that. A lot of those upstate band. We talked about Disgorged before Baphomet. A lot of those bands were a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't call it slam, but they, they did slow things down in kind of a doomy way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. The Disgorged album, if you don't have that, yeah. that hit it, there is some heavy, heavy, heavy stuff going on. Yeah, it's, it's great. Great band. great band. You know? Um, oh, man. There's so many There's so many old school bands that people need to um, 
Like if you listen to uh, if, if 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 a lot of you younger listeners uh, listen to like a band like um, Blood Incantation or something, listen to the band that they ripped off, which is Time Ghoul. Ooh. You know, I'm, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> we so, uh, uh, well, you know, that's uh, we, we've had Mike Stevens on the show. We've we've had members of both bands on the program. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I love Time Ghoul. Yeah, um, great band, great uh band. Everybody, uh, Jeff, I think, is uh, the guy I used to write to. I can't remember his name. Anyway, I think it was Jeff. I used to write to him, and he used to write back to me. He used to write back to me four-page letters. Wow. That were the wildest, funniest, most esoteric letters you would ever get from anybody. Great band. Great band. Back in the tape trading days. I said before, yeah, sorry before. I said that, but but uh, I think Time Ghoul needs a lot more credit than they get. Uh, the Blood Incantation guys could take a joke. They're they're big boys. <laughs> Shout to them. Um, All right, and and they get a, they get a lot of shit that's uh, not that's not intended uh, with with uh, with a uh, elbow elbow rib. I love Blood Incantation. I love Time Ghoul. Yeah, this is Justin. <laughs> Just don't be mad at me. I'm doing it. Listen, I'm doing I'm doing it in a bit of jest because. <laughs> We could, we, um, we could talk shit here. It's okay. We have fun. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, I'm talking this scrap. I like Blood Incantation, too, because I like, I like Time Ghoul, too, and I'm glad somebody takes some of their influence and does something with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's all good. It's all good, man. Yep. Um, I got jokes, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Chris, um, we really appreciate your time, man. Uh, we're going to have to definitely link up and do that smoke sessions thing, hundred percent. Yeah, dude, I'll, I'll, I'll contact I'll, I'll contact you offline. I'll talk to Chris, and maybe maybe January we'll 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 hook it up. You guys come out to our studio, or we can come down to you or and and simulcast. This is all you know. Yeah, this is all good. We, we'll do it. We'll have a good time. We'll have a lot of laughs. Yeah, man. And- I mean, I think I think we needed to do it in in my studio because i have to smoke cigars and chris has to do bong hits so i can um, help him with that right so you can help him with that and if any of you guys want cigars you can have cigars you know and you guys some of you guys drink whiskey i have plenty of whiskey oh there you i go. think it'll work out real well yeah we, yeah, <laughs> yeah this we'll be there smoking and drinking all that you have to yes offer, yeah for sure so isn't that what everybody should be doing anyway yeah especially nowadays Exactly. Uh, so, so the listeners, until that collaboration takes place, uh, they can um, stay up to date with their content by going to darkforceslive.com, January 2nd, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, if you can't make it then, though, you could buy the ticket and watch it uh, for a whole year. It's not going to be on YouTube uh, or anything like that. You buy a ticket and you can watch it whenever you want exclusively. Uh, the most recent internal bleeding album, Corrupting Influence, is on Unique Leader Records. Uh, and Chris, we appreciate your time. Oh, and obviously you can go to that internal bleeding YouTube channel for smoke sessions. Um, right. And is there anything else, Chris, that I didn't plug or that you want to talk about quickly? Um, we have a pretty robust website. Um, <laughs> I love it. So if you want to visit our website, go to internal-bleeding.com. There's um, there's a lot of great photos. There's a lot of great video. Um, there's a lot of band history on there. Um, you know, a lot of people. I, I send a lot of people to the website because I don't like, you know, the way Facebook is with clamping down on post reach and stuff. 
I try to drive people to our website. We've got a great website store with a lot of great merch on there. Um, and if anybody wants to get in touch with the band, you know, uh, messenger us through Facebook. Join our, uh, we have an internal bleeding department in, in human suffering Facebook group. Uh, feel free to ask for membership for that. Um, we have lively conversations in there going on all week long about all things IB and all things death metal. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, and, and I guess I guess I, I just want to wrap up by thanking you guys and thanking everybody who actually sat through this hour and a half. Of <laughs> two, hour, two hours and 12 minutes of drudgery, you know. Um, thanks a lot. I, um, I love you guys, Will. I hope to see you soon, man. Um, thanks a lot for the opportunity. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully uh, a lot of you guys will go watch the live stream. That's all I can say. Yeah, we we agree. It was great to talk to you, Chris. And we're we're gonna be meeting up. I'm gonna take you up on that smoke sessions thing, uh, and we're gonna be um, watching that live stream. I'm gonna encourage all the listeners to watch it one more time. It's it, we're gonna be putting this episode out January first. So happy New Year's to everybody. Happy and New Year's. Yeah. This is great. Tomorrow at five p.m. You better be watching that live stream and supporting the underground scene. It's weird times. We gotta do what we gotta do. Right. Love uh, you guys, man. Thank you so much. Have, have a good one, uh, Chris. All the best to you and happy new year, brother. Yeah, well, you too, man. I will um I'm gonna actually uh I'll I'll email you through Facebook uh tomorrow to try to get your availabilities of what you guys can do. Okay. Awesome. Sick. We'll, and, we'll, and, we'll set and it up. We'll set it up and we'll do uh we'll do uh we'll we'll go live on, on the IB page and then you guys can rip that and make that a and make that a heavy whole podcast and we'll make it a smoke sesh podcast and we'll have a good time. Fuck yeah, yeah. man. So, that's that. what I was thinking, man. Sounds like a plan, dude. All right. Sounds great, brother. Awesome. All right. Have a good night, man. I'll be in touch. Take care, brother. Thanks, Chris. Have a good night, guys. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much. I appreciate, you too, appreciate it all. Thank you. All right. Bye. That was our interview with Chris Pervelis from Internal Bleeding. Uh, thank you to him for his time. Again, one more time, you can go to darkforceslive.com tomorrow, January 2nd at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They're going to be showing a, a exclusive Internal Bleeding live stream. Uh, Tom, thank you for pointing that out before. It's not ever going to be available on YouTube. And if you buy the ticket to this online event, you don't have to watch it live. You have access to it for a full year. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to point out. As yeah. I mentioned on yeah, the show, sure. um, Good support point. the bands. And if you're not going to be there, that's okay. You have a whole year to figure it out. That's yeah, the good selling point that it's not going to be available on, a, on a, any other streaming service, and uh, you can always go back to it if you can. You know, January second, maybe you got plans, whatever. Um, Will they be VHS bootlegs? Perhaps. Ask me January third. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> okay, allegedly. Uh, but no, shout to them. We'll be watching. Uh, shout to Chris Prevelis, thank you. And also, uh, you can allegedly catch us on an upcoming smoke session uh, with uh, Chris Prevelis and Chris McCarthy of Internal Bleeding. Man, we're going to work that out behind the scenes. Yep, I'm allegedly thirsty for smoke. Yeah, I got, I got <laughs> cotton mouth already. Right. Um, listen, Happy New Year. We appreciate all of our listeners. Uh, we appreciate 
Uh, everybody supporting us there on the Patreon, especially yeah. the Big Fish. Um, I could cry. Thank yeah, you. Uh, don't cry yet, all right? Because all right. We're, we're not out, all right? Okay. I'll, all right? We can count how many tissues I'm going to give you in a minute, tough I'll guy. Hold it together. Uh, but uh, thank you to everybody supporting the Heavy Old Podcast. We're going to try to keep bringing you the best content we can into next year. We know this year was a little crazy, but we kept it going for you. Um, thank you to all of our guests who have been part of the program. We couldn't do it without you telling your stories on the Heavy Hole Podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you to our beer sponsor, Atlas Brew Works wow. in Washington, D.C. What a delicious brew. What a delicious yeah. beer they concoct every time I open up one of their different cans of uh, various lagers and pale ales. Yeah, and I, I, I can speak for all of our listeners. Thank you for being the best thing to come out of Washington this year. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, I also, anyone else wants to send us beer, send us something else, uh, get in touch. We'll, we'll promote it. We'll, we're, we're, uh, we're for sale. We're, yeah. mul- um, we're deep. Also, the people, <laughs> who just, the people who just buy us for this, the Patreon people. Oh, yeah, we cannot you. thank you enough. Everyone who's uh, been supporting. Um, Will, here comes those tears again. <laughs> yeah, here they come. <laughs> Very seriously. Tears um, of joy every time I log on to Patreon and see everybody supporting us. We're going to keep bringing you those bonus episodes, those uh, previews of videos a little bit before everyone else can see them. Those heavy hole records pre-sale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got more music coming down the pipeline. Uh, everybody enjoying that Dangerous Thing record. We got more music <laughs> from members of the Heavy Hole podcast and friends. Uh, that's a thing now, so be sure to check that out. You can check it all out on heavyholepodcast.com. As always, go to the Patreon, go to our band camp that we got now. We got t-shirts oh and my patches God. coming. T- yeah, t- uh, as of this episode, next week. Are t-shirts out this week? Next week, t-shirts and patches yeah. will be dropping. Fan-fucking-tastic. I have been slacking. I'll admit it, guys. What do you mean? Uh, on the Instagram live streams that I'm supposed to be doing Sunday nights. The it's holiday, ho- it's season. A holiday weekend. Yeah, it's holiday season now. caught up with me, but I- I'm going to get right back on that train. We're going to be doing Instagram lives. I'm going to be taking questions, going live with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might get, get cute with it, and I'll plan for someone else to go live with me, who, who you know, maybe a guest Instagrammer. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to step everything up. 2021 is going to be a lot of uh, good good times. I didn't say fun. All fun 21. And I'm not doing it. I don't do all that stuff. No one 21. No, we, we do fun. Will is on another tip, and that's why people listen to the show, to be yes. honest. Yes. Yeah. Not yeah. since Cheap Whore 2004 have I done that. That was a bad look. <laughs> uh, whoa, we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, seriously, though, thanks to everybody. Happy New Year's to you. We hope that this year is a little bit better than last year. Uh, all fun 2021, whatever you got to say. Uh, but, Justin... Yeah, what's up? What what year is it? Oh, it's 2020. One. Bing bong. Catch, my